DT Cap Blog, starting 081519. Our group made it to Rivewater Planet, Texas, where suddenly this random wormhole opened up and sucked us out into downtown. We've been making our way around with HSR Pilot, guiding us to our home destination of A-Fest. We've been battling in the intense heat, pressure, and communication problems along the way, but I fear we might be reaching our breaking point soon. If this message somehow manages to reach you, just know that the following you're about to hear may contain language and content that could be unsuitable for the people around you. This new discretion is advised. I hate to spoil the content of our discussions, so I advise you tread carefully while examining through this recording. Of course, the views and opinions of the crew involved are ours and ours alone, and no one else's, so don't get the wrong idea. We'll make it through the best we can, surviving on the local floor and fauna. Though the people around here have been nice and friendly. They spoke highly of something called Hard Eight and some urban legend about Dead Eye Mary. They also told us about using the stars to help us get home, for the stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. Wait, wait, hold on, I'm getting a transmission somehow from a ship called the... Astra, uh, oh boy, uh, Houston, we have a problem. Hello and welcome to Dub Talk, where a group of kids become space explorers and occasionally talk shop about English dubs for anime. I'm your Captain Jet, and tonight I'm joined by our ship's Dr. Megan. <laughs> oh lord, you're gonna let me be the doctor? Well, I hope you all like not dying. Our ship's cooked them all. Danger, Carter! Danger! And our resident mascot, Andrew. I'm gonna miss the gruppies. I'm gonna miss them <laughs> so much. The gruppies will not miss you. Oh. I promise I will not kill them, so... Damn right you won't. They're very good. They're friends. They I don't, don't know. I've heard gruppy jerky's really good. Oh, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. Anyways. And uh, anyway, we are all here tonight to talk about the Dub 2 Summer 2019's sci-fi thriller slash gag series, As for Loss in Space. Captain, shouldn't you introduce yourself? Oh, well, wait, I did. Oh, okay. You just weren't paying attention because you're you, I guess. Oh. <laughs> this is why you're the this is why you're the mascot. Does that mean he's a puppet with someone's hand up their ass? No, no. You stop that thought right now. Uh, oh no. Nah, I'm not gonna go there. That's too mean. This is good. Dunk is in the house. Oh god. Yeah, this is gonna be funny. I, oh, my on, lives I are in your hands. This is gonna be a terrible night. Why exactly? Oh. Why would you make me the doctor? I'm the worst doctor. <laughs> Damn it, Chet! I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. <laughs> I'm literally, I'm literally the Toy Story, the Toy Story clip of I don't believe he's ever been to medical school. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that woman's ever been to medical school. All right. All right. Um. So, 
Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with the series, I'll just uh, go with the synopsis from a and real quick. Uh, in the year 2063, traveling through space has become commonplace. Eight students from Carrot High School, along with one child, set out for a school camp on a nearby planet. However, the students are then mysteriously transported 5,000 light years away from home with no way to call for help. Aboard an abandoned spaceship they call the Astra, these nine students slowly try to make their way home and figure out why they're transported in the first place. So, basically, this is a Star Trek Enterprise in anime teens. Enterprise? More like Voyager. This is Voyager, you <laughs> fucking casual! Okay, okay, Even, I don't know, okay, look, I, okay, look, I don't know Star Trek that well, I'm sorry. Jack, it's Jack, I don't, wa- I don't watch Star Trek even, even I do with Voyager. So when do they get the lightsabers? God fucking... That's, uh, 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 that's Star Wars. That's the joke. That's the joke. Alright, wait, you Wolf Castle. All right, all right. That's your that's your dunk on me for this evening, I guess. God bless, love you, buddy. <laughs> Anyways, uh, for all the people who have not watched the show, is there a cat on the ship? Uh, um, does Bego count? I mean, it looks like none a of you, f- none really. you fuckers know what Red Dwarf is. I'm upset now. Anyways, um, if you've not seen the show Astra Lost in Space at this point, or have not read the manga, this is the point where we firmly and politely tell you, we are going to spoil this entire fucking show, get out now. This is also the part where I firmly and politely tell you to let Jet do his fucking job. Uh, and I this mean, is why I firmly politely tell you both to shut up, please. Mm. I mean, we have, I mean, we have disclaimers for a reason. This, so. is, this is true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you haven't watched the show, don't watch this, obviously. Uh, and with that, I guess we might as well get right down to it. So as always, we will start off by talking about the folks behind the booth. Uh, we have the ADR directors who tackled the voice direction for this dub and the dubs adapted script writers. Uh, for our main, oh, well, I, do you guys want to talk about your predictions for ADR staff or not really? Yes. Nah. I, I had predictions for ADR staff, um, but I, I, it's up to you. You're the host, so. Uh, I mean, I guess we, I mean, I guess at this point, let's just save it for the cast. Okay, fair enough. Okay. Uh, so anyway, for our main ADR director, we have one Caitlin Glass. Who has directed dubs for such series as Gara the Animation, Soccer Quest, Radiant, and Fruits Basket 2019. For our ADR directors, we have Josh Grail, Megan Shipman, and Morgan Moray. Uh, Josh Grayley has been an assistant ADR director for such shows as Day Day Live 2, Dragon R Academy, and Kami Sama Kiss 2. Morgan Moray has, has assisted with voice direction on such shows as Andro, Fairy Gone, and the helpful Senko-san. As for Megan Chipman, this is her first time having got a, as an assistant ADR director. But uh, but she's also done music direction for episode seven of Mopahachi and a couple episodes of Fairy Tale Final Season. So, oh, I didn't okay. know that actually. Okay, okay, cool, good to know. Yeah. Uh, for adapted scriptwriter, on the other hand, we have one Chris McGuire who has done adapted scripts for such shows as Shonen Maid, Love Live Sunshine Season Two. Tagashi Kashi, and Moscow Girl Racing Project. Okay, let's see. Who do I want to pick? Uh, Jamal, you can go first. Okay, I guess get right into it. Uh, 
When I saw his project was getting announced, I saw Caitlyn Glass was attached to it. I didn't really peg Caitlyn as the further type because I saw her floor the Supercar. And normally, when I go and meet her, I can always kind of peg what kind of show she would be directed. Astra Lost the Space was the last thing to cross my mind, to be honest, but she, she's done pretty good. I mean, I, I'm very familiar with her work. I mean, I know she's already put all her fruits in one basket right now, but. She did a very good uh, job, not only with the direction, but with the casting as well, because the casting is very diverse, but we'll get into that later. Uh, for the assistant directors, uh, we'll start with Megan Shipman, because she directed episode 8, I believe, and episode 8 was pretty neat. I I, would, I thought maybe there was going to be a music direction, I remember, that's not the, a music episode at all, but Megan seems to be getting a handle on it pretty quick. Josh... Not too familiar with his work, but he's done a pretty good job so far, because I believe both him and Morgan did two episodes two and three, and to which Morgan... <laughs> oh, man, I'm starting to admire Morgan more and more as a director now, because she now only did... Now he helped out with two and three, but also most of the episodes of Love It, and when we get to later on, I will get to why I bring that up, but I feel she did a phenomenal job helping Caitlin out with her, with the direction. And as for Kristen, her script writing, it's funny, because normally when you see Kristen write, she would put maybe a couple of Kristen Nessums, but other than that, she would always stay faithful to the script, to almost to the letter. There were a couple of lines that caught me off guard. Uh, one was... Uh, Male or female, animal or plant, uh, sci-fi thriller or gag anime. I thought, yeah, that was being a little self-aware. The other, I will bring up towards the end for a very special reason, but I was kind of surprised she managed to fit that into the script. But oh, uh, it's worth noting that was in the Japanese version too. That wasn't like the dub only thing. That was, no, just, like, that uh, was just like the actual joke. The what the gag one or? As a, yeah, the thing where they typically say like sci-fi thriller gag. Yeah, I yeah I I noticed I noticed, but the but the second line that caught me off guard is in the much later episode. I was kind of surprised she managed to put that in there. When we get to the main characters, I will explain why. But other, okay. than, that, but other than that, I feel everybody did a very good job. Like there was nothing that really felt out of place or anything. So that's all I gotta say. Hmm. Okay, uh, who would like to go next? I guess I'll go. Um, I actually knew, I figured that Caitlin was actually going to do this, because when the, uh, original tweet that Funimation had actually gotten, got the, uh, that they were going to be simuldubbing this came out, she immediately was like, hmm, I wonder what this is, and I'm like, hmm, hmm, thinking emoji spinning around in a circle. Basically. It's okay. it's actually really bad is that, like, Andrew's been retweeting really funny <coughs> comics of uh, Shamir and Catherine from Three Houses, and I just imagine it with the Catherine's face from that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love those comics. And then she twists it, and then I twist it. Um, so I had, a, I had a really small, strong indication that Caitlin would be doing this. Most directors that are there full-time do two shows, so I... I, I never doubted that she was going to do this. I did have Clifford Chapin as my backup production because I didn't know what the hell he was going to do when I wrote that. Um, that being said, uh, 
there are a lot of things I really want to appreciate that Caitlyn did for this dub. Um, but I, I guess I'll talk about that last because I, I really, really do want to compliment her for there. Uh, so... I will start with Kristen's writing. I actually, this actually might be one of my favorite Kristen scripts. It walked that line of being faithful to the show, but also bringing in stuff for localization that never made it really feel like super dated uh, and stuff that got a genuine la laugh out of me. Um, one of though the one thing is this like there is the term garbage fire that's used, and I'm more used to dumpster yeah. fire. Yeah, I heard that. I, too. I, I'm used to dumpster fire, which if anyone's saying nobody uses the term dumpster fire, that's a lie. My coworkers and I use that a lot, and half of my coworkers are at least twenty years older than I am. Mm. Uh, so yes, people do in fact use that term. Uh, one of my other favorite ones is uh, when uh, Kitari tells Olgar to stop being so emo. Um, so can you cut it out with the emo stuff, Olgar? It's pretty accurate. Like, yeah, I, I I got a good like actual laugh out of that. But it's when this show goes to places that are incredibly emotional and incredibly insightful for a for a graphic novel that ran in Weekly Shonen Jump, um, which don't have the highest track records of being the most inclusive things on the face of the planet. Uh, let's okay, let's all be it, real uh, here. Okay, because I'm me, I'm gonna have to like correct you slightly. It read in. It, it read in Shonen Jump Plus, which is like their okay. digital only magazine. Okay, my apologies, but it's still, still it is, it's still Shueisha. It's Shueisha. Okay, I, I mean, I mean, okay, I mean, there's, I mean, there's inclusive stuff in Shueisha in general, just not yeah. like the Jump brand most of the time. Yeah, like this still ran on like a Jump, and, and more specifically, you can read this on the Weekly Shonen Jump manga app in the United States. Like you can read this. Shameless chill. Please use, please use your legal manga availability. You can read all of Oster there. Um, please support the official release, official release. or we'll cap you. <laughs> I will specifically come with a neek of with a bat. Nah. Oh, that that cap. Okay. If, <laughs> if if you pirate this, Ogre is gonna pop a cap in your ass. No, he won't. <laughs> nah, fine. His significant other will. Dear Lord, now I'm just imagining Luca with a tiny bat. <laughs> the Luca Lance is coming for you. The Luca Lance is... <laughs> the Luca Lance! Don't pirate this shit, bitch. But, more to my point, and that can get all edited out, um, but more to the point is that when this show goes for a lot of its dramatic moments, it really she really turns it on, and for... Stuff that is relatively heavy and not stuff you necessarily see depicted in an anime like this. Um, moving on to the directing, I never... The directing felt seamless to me. Um, I'm not gonna lie that I watched the show entirely in Japanese as it aired, and then binged the entire dub in a day. <laughs> so the dub is fresher in my mind. Um, I never... It didn't feel like there were like, four assistant directors on the show. Um, they all did their job well. But the biggest compliment I really want to give to Caitlin Glass is the extra mile of being inclusive to this show. Um, people of color are played by people of color in this. This is probably one of the most diverse casts I've seen for actors who are used on it. Um, and this extends outside of people's people's skin color. I, 
this really was a very inclusive dub and in a year where more shows with people of color are coming out from Japan which if you've if you've been on Twitter recently in the last couple of days or weeks you will know that uh, a clip from the show Love Lab came up and let's yeah. just go with this oh i forgot about that i japan, i, did, I japan did, is I'm... not japan is kind of racist sometimes guys and by kind of, I mean very. Um, I'm saving that for the section, but sometimes, go on. Sometimes, yeah. Uh, so I really do want to give Caitlin compliments for that, and I really want to compliment her for doing it on a simuldub schedule. There is, I don't know what the process was for casting the show, but I'm going to assume if it's like a lot of other simuldubs, you don't really get times to do auditions. Hmm. And the fact that a show on a simuldub could do that while another very prominent show that came out this year couldn't do that says a lot to me. So. Okay. All right. So, I will say that, yeah, Caitlin Glass is very much a director I am very accustomed to and used to, like, her work. She, she is no stranger to the world of anime English dubs. That much is certain. But even then, this is still a very interesting dub for a few reasons. Because this is a small, tight-knit group of characters that you spend almost the entire show with, like, nine people. There's a couple other people sprinkled in there, and we will get to them. But for the most part, you have your core cast of nine people played by nine characters. Nine characters played by nine people. That I, I can English go, Nine, I nine, nine. Nine, nine, nine. There's actually there's a point in it. Mm. Um, but yeah, so this is a tight knit cast, and you need all these people to show a lot of different sides to them. You need to show them when they are vulnerable. You need to show them when they are brave. You need to show them when they are like emotional wrecks. You need to show them where they're goofy teenage dorks. You need to show all of that. You need both. Your voc vocal directors who are presenting that and accomplishing that, as well as the script adapter who is making the things they are saying sound natural. And Kristen is very good at both being faithful to a lot of source material when it's legally available, but also adding her own spin and spice to it as well. Because I feel like the, the things that the teenagers say in the show are things actual dorky teenagers would say to each other. It's actually kind of great. And some characters like Kitari and Luca are deliciously sassy. It's hilarious. Like, I know, like, Luca, when he when he's getting lectured, it's just like, okay, mom, I hear you. It's like, oh, my God. And Kitari is just... She is deliciously sassy and charming in her delivery. And I think a lot of the way Kristen writes her, as well as a lot of the other characters, comes through faithfully. But the vocal direction uh, from Megan, from Josh, from Morgan especially, who really, really has had a phenomenal year of anime English dubbing herself. Like, she's assisted with a lot of very exceptional, very funny and dramatic stuff this year. And Caitlin as well. I'd like to point out some, uh, and give com com uh, commendations. Was that the phrase? Basically give praise to a particular aspect of this English dub that I imagine must have been very difficult in some regard. Keeping some of these voice actors and aging them up as well as de-aging them to sound on... 
One of the big things about this dub is that they you are playing characters that are technically different characters but are the same person. And they need to sound distinct and different from what they sound like. So, Kanata, Aerie, Zack, so-and-so, they have two different voices that they are using. And even though they are not, like, shown off-screen often, they need to sound distinct and different enough. And they do! And that must have been a very hard thing to do, to have very different, distinct voices for what are technically different characters. But I think Caitlyn and crew do a phenomenal job making them sound natural and making the making the change in tone and cadence really, really impactful. Like, this is a passion project. You can very much tell. They are putting a lot of love and effort into this. You've got some voice acting regulars, and you've got some people who are completely new to the f uh, scene. There's one or two actors who I had really not heard of at all before Astro Lost in Space, and they are now definitely actors who I hope show up in more things and are absolutely on my radar. They were phenomenal. This is... There's a lot of old talent, there's a lot of new talent, there's a lot of passion in this entire project, and I can, am happy to say I enjoyed my stay with this wonderful crew. Okay. Um, as for me, uh, so Caitlin Glass is uh, pretty much one of my favorite directors at Funimation, and uh, while not everything she's done has been, like, super sad for me, she generally does very solid work. And she's doing some of her best work with the Done to the New Fruits Basket anime right now. Uh, I'm bringing it up because, you know, since she's working on both of those shows, there are times where you can kind of tell which one is the higher priority project, and that's definitely Fruit Basket, obviously. Uh, but that being said, this is still a pretty good dub. And uh, like you guys were saying, I definitely appreciate how diverse the casting was on this one, both in terms of the mix of veterans and newer actors from Funimation, and also, you know, just in terms of actual ethnicity. It's always cool to, you know, see some actual... I mean, it's always cool to see black voice actors doing anime work. And I'm definitely very glad with how they casted Luca. I mean, we'll get to that later, of course. I mean, honestly, I really kind of wish another dub from this year had taken a few cues from that when it comes to diversity, mm -hmm. but it's a whole other thing right that's, there. That's another conversation yeah, for another. Yeah, day. that's the conversation. Yeah. Uh, granted, not every performance here led it for me, and I definitely mixed on at least a couple of them, but I definitely respect that Caitlin decided to go out of the box with the casting on this one. And I think that the overall direction on this one from her, Josh, Megan, and Morgan is all pretty consistent, and all more or less generally sounded like the same person was directing it, which is great. Uh, as with the script, I thought Kirsten did a very solid job with it. And having read through the manga a couple of years back, her translation for the dub is pretty consistent with Fizz's. Uh, she definitely has some fun with the comedy portion of the show, where there's like a couple of minor liberties taken here and there. Uh, but some of them actually helped to make the jokes land a little bit better for me, so I'm definitely pretty happy with what she did there. Um, I mean, on the whole, I probably wouldn't put this among my favorite dubs of the year, and I kind of lead maybe a little more towards the Japanese track on this one, but uh, the dub definitely grew on me a lot with time, and there are definitely some performances here that really impressed me, so on the whole, I think it's a pretty solid job. Excellent. And uh, with that, uh, it's very good to move on to characters. So for our first, we're going to get the adults out of the way, since we're mostly going to be talking about the kids here. The only two good adults in this entire show. The only yeah. good ones. 
Okay, I mean, okay, oh, wait, okay, 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 there, are, there are three. There's, yeah, there's the detective, but that's... Okay, and also Olgar's brother, but he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, so Do you think Bigo's first... more of a kid or an adult? Who? Get out. Bigo. Get out. Bigo's an important member of this crew, too, okay? Yeah, Bigo is an important member of this crew. <laughs> but Bigo doesn't get as much squeed time, so... All right. Bigo is family! They're all family, and so is Bigo. Press B for Bigo. <laughs> okay, uh, so for our first pair of characters, we have Polina Levinska and Emma Sprig. Uh, Polina is a mysterious woman who the kids encounter when they end up stranded on one of the planets on their journey. And she turns out to have been an explorer sent from Earth to colonize new planets. Uh, as for Emma, she's Ares' mom, and in addition to being pretty much the only parent who shows any concern when the kids end up missing in space... Uh, she was also once an attendant for Princess Sarah of the Victoria Royal Quarter and decided to raise Ares to raise Ares at her request. Yeah, that was a big bomb drop, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was uh, waiting okay. for Andrew to get to that. I was just like, tick tick, <laughs> yeah. bitch. Yep. Uh, so since these, okay, so since at least one of these characters appears like very late in the show, I'm assuming you guys didn't have predictions. Right? I did not have nope. predictions. For I did these not have predictions characters. for this. Because I did not okay. know one was going to be a character, and secondly, I did not know one was actually going to have real prominence, so to speak. Okay. So, playing Polina, we have Elizabeth Maxwell, and for Emma, we have Abrina Roberts. Uh, Elizabeth Maxwell is no stranger to this podcast, and you may have heard her in such roles as Albedo from Overlord, Cordelia, Cordelia Gallo from Gothic, Bishamone from Noragami, and Ymir from Attack on Titan. As for Brina Roberts, she's a fresher face of Funimation, and while she's had a few background roles in shows such as SSS Grinman and Black Clover, her only other named roles are Susanna from After Lost and Mirai from Conception. Hmm. I've actually... Oh, I've, I've, I've seen her name pop up in a couple of, of recent dubs, actually, so it actually is kind of cool that we do get a chance to talk about her. Yeah. Okay, um, on that note, uh, why don't you go first, Andrew? Okay, so I'll be very quick with Brienne, but she does a very good job sounding like this kind of meek but very concerned parent who is there for her child and is willing to be there for her child because it turns out all the other parents aren't willing to be there for their child because for of reasons. reasons. For very... <laughs> Ethically, do we want to rip the, the ethical bandage? Rip off? it off, rip it off, rip it off. That's okay, why these two are here. Rip, That's why these two are here. Rip it off, Megan. Rip it off. Yo, so there's fucking clones. Yeah, there's um, some cloning shit going on in this. And as I was sort of alluding to earlier, all of the all of the crew have to play older versions of themselves because they are younger clones of other people who want to take their minds and put it in a younger body, therefore erasing and killing the mind of their clothes, which there is all sorts of ethical shit wrong right there. What the fuck? Jordan peels <laughs> off to the side like, hey guys. <laughs> Jordan peels like, oh cool, I'd watch this. Get out. Anyways, uh, Emma is not actually one of those. She, as we've alluded, she's a handmaiden for a princess who was actually the original for Ares, who decided, I don't want her to be me. I want her to live her own life. 
Though, ironically enough, she named her her name, but okay. backwards. She didn't name her. Sarah did. Sarah literally had her handkerchief with her name on it. Literally turned it around and said, I got it. Which, can I say, I appreciate the little opening foreshadowing where Ari's name is literally flipped upside down and everybody else yep. isn't. I like that little touch. Little things like that. Brienne does a good job sounding like this very concerned parent who's there for her kid and is doing her best. I don't have much to say for Brienne, but she, she's definitely making a name for herself, and I look forward to getting the chance to talk more about her work in the future, but I really liked what she did with Emma. Elizabeth Maxwell is a name I'm absolutely familiar with and am a fan of. I have never heard her do Russian. I have never heard her... I've never heard okay. her... According to the Q&A video that Caitlin put out, she had never done it before this. Okay, so this is a first time for her doing a Russian accent. And all in all, great job, actually. She did a really stellar job at being a Russian. Get out. Okay, okay, Andrew, this is not going to be another Dr. Soda incident. I will stop you. Look, stellar is a phrase I use without being intentional but i think it's fitting no, okay okay no no you you definitely use that intentionally i heard you okay i i thought about it and then i decided fuck it i do what i want anyways uh, elizabeth is exceptional she's doing her best at basically being oh god was i just i was in stasis for 12 years and then it turned out no she's actually about as old as avatar ang that's how long she was frozen there's a, there is a literal blank century from, like, the concept of the blank century from One Piece is literally a thing in Astra. Because there's just a missing century of time to try and, like, pretend this didn't happen. There's a lot of shit that goes into, uh, Elizabeth Maxwell. Uh, this character doesn't get to do too much, but Polita's a very interesting figure at helping unravel the true mystery behind Astra, as well as also the revelation that, oh yeah, this is somebody who lived in a time where countries were a thing, and religion was a thing, and world wars were still a thing, which I think probably, like, there are two really good reveals that came about because of this character. One is, uh, oh, what planet are you from? What planet are you from? That's not Earth. Oh, yeah, we're from Astra. It's like, what? What is that? Oh, oh dear God. Uh, Polina? What is God? Which, that is such a... This is the perfect John Lennon paradise. There's no war, no religion, no countries. You can see it if you try. And back on track. So yeah, no, Elizabeth is definitely... Going in unexplored territory. Oh, fuck. Okay. I'm not even trying at this point. Uh, no, Elizabeth is a phenomenal actress. She does this very good, like, sultry, older voice, but also manages to sound very, like, cute and sweet as well and manages to blend in with this cast of characters very well. And even though she's a bit of an outsider, she becomes part of this big family of theirs. And she's delightful. And she's pretty funny at times, too. But yeah, I'm just very impressed with Elizabeth exploring a new accent that's outside of her normal repertoire. And for her first time doing Russian, she does it pretty great. All right, I'm done. Okay, uh, Megan, why don't you go? 
Oh, fuck. Alright, so, uh, one of the things I really would like to say that is I do enjoy that Brianna Roberts does make Aerie sound like a concerned parent. Also, B, while she technically has no biological relation to Aerie, she did in fact carry her. So, she is a surrogate parent, that's like one of the lines that actually kills me in the show, which is uh, that she would do anything for Aerie's because she may not be her flesh and blood, but she carried her in the womb for nine months, so that's her baby. Don't fuck with her baby. Mm-hmm. Um... I thought she was a perfectly adept, ma- like, at doing the mom voice. I thought it was a pretty solid job. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I also got, like, super emotional in those scenes, being, like, the one person on the podcast who's adopted. So, having at least one of the adopted parents not be a total shitbag <laughs> was a blessing- was a blessing in my book. Uh, so Polina at- uh, Polina and, um, Elizabeth Maxwell, who I didn't actually think that that was going to be Elizabeth Maxwell for some reason, like- when I learned that that Polina was a character in the show, I actually thought that was going to be Kristen McGuire for some reason. Uh, I was like, uh, I, I, I thought that that was where they were going to go with that. Um, I don't know. I personally thought that was probably where Caitlin was going to put herself. But. Yeah, it was either going to be Caitlin or Chris. I was like, okay, yeah. but I'm okay with it being Elizabeth. Like, I think she did a really solid job. I thought her Russian game was very strong in that she has a lot of really good reaction moments where she, like, coughs and screams and cries, but... Ostra Lost's face can also be called Ostra Lost in uh, open mouth responses because there's a lot of really good ones in this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I lovingly refer to it as uh, Connors' actors' magical screaming noises because they are my favorites. Um, like, one of my absolute favorite Elizabeth reactions is when uh, Paulina finds out that she's been asleep for like a hundred years. Oh, God. And she's just like, I'm so old. Oh, uh, they are so bad at comforting her, too, about her that. Her, too. Specifically, it's Phoenicia who's really shitty at comforting her. Um, and then when, and then the very last episode where uh, Phoenicia runs up and goes, uh, hey, Paulina, and she's like, that's Miss Lizisky uh, to you. It's like, man, aren't you, like, super old? And I was like, Jesus, Phoenicia. Uh, she had a family. They're all dead now. They're all dead now. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Don't worry. <laughs> They're just like her cast and crew looking on looking at her from the great beyond. Um, Megan put her sassy pants on for the recording. <laughs> but uh, I really, really enjoyed Elizabeth. Uh, I wouldn't say she's my favorite performance of the show. I thought it was really strong, especially when because um, Jed alluded to it that uh, she was also a major character in Fruits Basket while this was going on, and the almost night and day in the performances between her as Uwatani and ripping all of our hearts out collectively and her as Paulina and making her sound like older. And one of the things I do appreciate is that she does sound older than some of the kids on the ship. So yeah. I, yeah. Despite, despite almost looking like she is the same age as them, <laughs> man, it, it probably also when, doesn't help that like they put her in like teenage, stupid t-shirts. Teen. I mean, to be fair, Aang was, like, 12 when he was frozen in the ice, so she's just sitting in there, like, man, I wonder what she was thinking about the entire time. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, you say... Oh. Yeah, you say those shirts are stupid, but some of those shirts have meaning. Oh, no, Uh, absolutely. The the t-shirt game is on point. I just think they... I 100% want Olgar's mild thing as a t-shirt. Oh, God, the mild thing is so good. Mild thing is is my favorite dumb t-shirt in the show. 
Anyway, starting with Brianna Roberts, I thought I thought she did a pretty good job being a timid but a worrying mother. I mean, yeah, I know, I don't. Well, she, she she's actually been active for a long time, but this she's new to anime, and being one of two people who saw conception, I should be familiar with her. But I thought she did pretty good in both in both uh, uh in both portraying uh, her worriedness towards Ares and. During the flashback where we find out just a bit of a backstory and how Ares came to be, really. But now, Elizabeth Maxwell, this was impressive because, again, as we pointed out, this is her first time actually speaking Russian. Hell, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't be surprised if they still used that Russian dialogue coach left over from Dumbbells for this, but she, she did a pretty good job. She made the, she not only made the accent, like, accent, uneasy to understand, but also voice accessible as well, and having to display all those emotions, because, you know, you find out that Astra pretty much Fahrenheit 451 to history, was kind of a shock to her, like, I mean, the way the way she has to emote herself, I, I thought those were very impressive, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm at a loss for words, because I never pictured Elizabeth Maxwell in Russian accents, but hey, here we are. First time for anything. Yeah, yeah, it's strong like bull, but I don't really have any more to say. It's just it's goddamn impressive, and both these ladies did a very good job. I mean, they're pretty much the backbone of the the two major twists to this show, and I th- I thought they conveyed that very well. And also, uh, Mama Spring uh, managed to go to the authorities and get this yes. all worked out. Which also, I love that little cute futuristic, like, tech where you take all of those video files, all of those audio files, you put it in a digital, like, paper airplane and, like, fly it across space. I'm not gonna lie, that was one of my favorite shots in the show. It almost made me start crying. (laughs) I got very emotional to that scene. But I'm I'm a huge baby. The show made me almost cry like four times. I don't blame you. Man, one of my favorite shots is something with Sharth. Uh, we'll talk about way later. Oh! (laughs) You know the one I'm talking about, I think. Anyways. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we all do. Uh, Jet? Is it, is it, is it, is it him? Is it, is it him stumping the competition? No, it's, it's, let's just say, oh, God, fuck, I'm, Shet, please continue. Okay, all right, um, okay, so starting with Elizabeth Maxwell as Polina, um, it's always nice to see Elizabeth Maxwell pop up in things, and she's certainly a pretty versatile actress. Uh, personally, this is probably the first time I've ever seen her play a character with an accent, and I know that playing uh, accents and dubs can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, since sometimes they can have to add a little bit of uh, authenticity to a performance, but if they're overplayed, it can sometimes sound a little unintentionally goofy and throw everything off. Uh, luckily, I thought Elizabeth Maxwell's Russian accent for this show was actually pretty nuanced. And given that Russian accents in particular tend to usually, tend to usually be done as over-the-top as possible, uh, I definitely appreciate that, and while the accent itself is, like, very thick, it never takes away from her acting, whether it's in her, like, comedic reactions to some of the kids' antics, like, I guess especially that whole bit where she finds out how old he is, that was hilarious. Or, like, if it, or, you know, when she needs to sound vulnerable, like that scene where she's at the site where her crew members died. 
And, you know, or that bit where she's, like, really confused about this show's whole crazy timeline scenario. And, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. And it really goes to show that the Savage Funimation are getting really, uh, just gradually getting better at how they tackle access and dubs. And, uh, yeah, this is a really solid work with Elizabeth Maxwell. As for Brita Roberts, I haven't seen any dubs who after Lost or Conception, since those shows are very not good. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just 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 be frank about it. Why don't just I mean, rip the band-aid <laughs> off, they suck. <laughs> and so this was my first real impression of her as an actress, and on a whole I thought she did a very fine job. Uh, she definitely made Emma sound like a concerned mom concer- compared to the rest of the show's quote unquote parents. And I thought she did a really great job bouncing off with them in episode 5, where she was the only one voicing any actual concern over the kid's safety. <laughs> and the worry and desperation in her voice during that moment felt pretty believable to me. I also really liked how she kind of handled a little montage of moments between her and Ares during uh, Ares' whole childhood flashback in episode 11. And she just really made Emma feel like a very warm and loving parent, which kind of helped to just really add to that scene. I mean, about the only series talk I give her that she sounded maybe, like, a little rough in that flashback where Emma was first tasked by Princess Sarah to raise Ares, like, I thought her crying felt maybe a little off to me, but other than that, I really enjoyed her work. And I definitely hope she gets to do more stuff with Amazing in the future. Mm-hmm. So, good job. And with that, I guess we're good to start moving on to the kids. Okay, which, what's, our, what's our first group? Okay, so for our first group of characters, we have Zach Walker, Kateri Raffaelli, and Felicia Raffaelli, a.k.a. Foodie. Oh, uh, uh, yes. Yes. I think I love And Bigo. And Bigo. I mean, I don't have Bigo with him, but you are free to talk about him by all means. Uh, can we just uh, say quickly who it is then? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Bigo is Sean Gann, and Bigo Hi, is Sean. adorable, and he's a perfect, adorable anime mascot that speaks his mind, and unlike the Danganronpas, is not out to kill everybody. So Press thank B you for sh- Bigo, because we love Bigo. Bigo's adorable, yeah. and I love him, and Sean is great. Sha- Sean is great as Bigo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so as for the other three... Uh, Zach is a young genius who's in charge of the Astros navigation and maintenance, and he's okay. Okay, he's okay. He never says he's a number two, but he he's basically the number two. Uh, <laughs> 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 I I lovingly refer to him as a uh, uh, him and Kanata as himbos in arms. Oh God, <laughs> they're so stupid. Okay. They're so hot, but they're so they're stupid. so dumb. <laughs> Uh, Katri is the ship's doctor and is kind of the most spoiled of the group. Uh, while Foodie is Katri's younger sister who gets brought along to space camp as a plus one. So, because uh, you know your mission is just to take care of this kid, stop asking questions. Your, your mission <laughs> is, here's a child. Make sure the child doesn't die in space. Bye. We didn't give you a sack of flour because we figured if it cried and pooped, it would be a lot more realistic. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, uh, who did you guys predict for these characters? Uh, I'll go first. Um, for Zach, I had Damon Mills or Howard Wang. For Kitharit, uh, I had Amber Lee Connors or Caitlin Glass. And for Phoenicia, I had Danny Chambers or Madeline Morris. Okay, interesting. Uh, for, uh, Zach, I figured 
I, I watched a bit of the sub to compare a little some of these voices. Zach, I figured he's a teenager, but he has a bit of an older voice in- Like, Zach is- like, I'm not gonna lie, Zach is the person in the subs. I'm like, you are very clearly played by an adult man. Very much so. So I figured maybe somebody who could still- who is a bit older, but can still actually do a teenage voice pretty well. So I thought Jason Jason Lebrecht or Eric Vale for Zach would be good choices. As for Kitari, I thought somebody who could do sassy and spunky teenage girl, but also with a bit of a Sunday heart of gold. So I thought Jill Harris and Kristen McGuire. And for Phoenicia, I thought- Who's good at making these girls sound very tiny and adorable? Uh, Christy Rothrock and Sarah Wiedenhoff. Okay, uh, Jamal, did you have predictions? Yes, I did. Uh, for Fenichia, I had Bird April, Madeline Morris, and Macy Ann Johnson. Uh, for Kitri, because she had she's pretty much a Gyaru at this point, but with slight, slight Sudanish tendencies, uh, Joe Harris, Marissa Lanty, and Madeline Morris, because she looks like another character she voiced. Oh my god, she does look like fucking Hibiki. It's what I call one of the four Gyaros of the Apocalypse, except they're not caused of the Apocalypse. <laughs> and for Zach Walker, along the same lines as Andrew, Clifford Chapin, Chris Gardner, and Ian Sinclair. Okay. Okay, uh, for okay as for me, uh, for Zach, I said Eric Vale mostly because, like Andrew was saying, I was thinking like deep voice. Okay, yeah, I was thinking like deep voice, but still sounds like a teenager, and he's definitely very good at that sort of thing. Uh, for Foodie, I said Austin Victorian because uh, she has a really good child voice. I enjoy hearing her do those kind of roles, so I figured that would be a lot of fun. And uh, for Kateri, I said Tia Balor because uh, she's pretty good at Valor Good Voices, and I still like at her Megumin from Jiggy, so kind of haunts my dream, so yeah. I'm, su- I- I'm surprised though you went for the low hanging fruit with Zach. Yeah. Uh, Zach Walker? Yeah, I'm surprised though y'all went with Tatum. Oh, oh okay. Uh, uh, and, uh, I, it, it, never, it never felt like a Tatum. It, it never yeah, felt like it a Tatum to like me either. <laughs> it looked like a Tatum character to me. Fair enough. It did not. Okay, 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 I know it's a character that wears glasses, but... Wears glasses, has a deep voice. What do you mean? He doesn't, doesn't have black hair. Have you seen Tatum in person? Yes, yes, I, yes, yes I have. Jamal! No, I'm saying that Zach doesn't have black hair. Most of the glasses characters that Tatum play have black hair. Does doesn't have to be black hair. I mean. Okay, okay uh, this is so semantics. This is not a Tatum actually... role. Who is it? Okay, so getting into who actually plays these characters. Uh, for Zach, we have Aaron Roberts. For Kitri, we have Satu Aba. And for Foodie, we have Denny Chambers. Yay, me. Uh, <laughs> uh, <Aaron laughs> Go, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Aaron Roberts as boy sets characters as Cody Balfour from Gangsta, Mo Murder from Bookie Pop and Others, Howard Link, Andy Grayman Hallow, and Red Red from First Love Monster, uh, Danny Chambers as boy sets characters as Dahlia Hawthorne from Ace Attorney, Bella from Ben, Sarah Ganado from Island, and TC Hattery from The Agent Megasin Bride. And as for Sasu Abad, she's also a bit of a fresher face in Funimation. Uh, doing background roles in shows such as Zombie Land Saga and Dr. Stone, uh, with her only other named uh, anime credit being Malbo from Radiant. Can I go so, first here? Oh, yeah, by all means, go first. 
first of all, I would like to congratulate Cody Balfour for making it to space after Nick kicked the cop car. Oh my god. Um, That's an old reference. Wow. That's like... The... That's like one of the original Dub Talk episode references. <laughs> That's like within our first 20. Um, um, I think that was like maybe the second one I did. Was I, was I on No, that? you no. were not on... You were on Gangster, but you were not on... Uh, you were not on Sky Wizards, where that joke actually comes from. Mm. Um, okay. But uh, I'd like to point out that uh, Zach Walker is my boyfriend in real life. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, for anybody who knows... Roots of Justice slash Patrick or has interacted or seen us interact. I basically date Zach Walker. Um, oh my God. I, <laughs> I appreciate you're the one that said it, but oh my God. Um, and Aaron <laughs> Roberts does a fantastic job. <laughs> and, and almost, he gets the mannerisms down for a character like this really well. Um, and I'd like to point out that Zach was the direct result of some of the hardest laughter I've had in the show. Oh, and a lot of it is Quintery and Zach base, or as I like to call her, Quesadilla. Thanks, Pick. Uh, thanks, Pickle. <laughs> thanks to my friend Pickle who calls her Quesadilla. Um, but Aaron's Aaron plays Zach as very straightforward and blunt as humanly possible. <laughs> um, one of my all-time favorite moments that happens in the show is where Kitarit tells him that he's so hard to read. And he's always focused on himself that he can't realize that he what he does to her and that she likes him. And he's like, of course I knew you liked me. I've liked you this entire time. And he's so dead, like, almost deadpan about it. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? And it's like, it's like, how? It's like, you promised to marry me when we were children. Who takes that seriously? I did. And I did. And just Aaron's, Aaron's very much like mellow, very understated at point times of Zack, matched to Sakia's intensity as Kitarit. Because <laughs> she also has some of my favorite screaming in the show. Like, Kitarit's very loud screaming that breaks a lot of times is fantastic. She's really um, good at screaming, she's too. She's really good at screaming. It's like, that's like blood-cuddling screaming. So she is she is very somebody is very good at screaming. Put her in shonen shows besides Radiant. Um But just just I know I know Andrew caught this because he put it in my Discord. Is like when Ares and Kanata, everyone's kinda like fawning over them, like they're the cute new couple. I just like Kicha oh, is that going, we're cuter. No, it's it's literally just Kitori being like, yeah, but they're still not as cute as us, and he supports her like, obviously not. Obviously, get a man who will stand behind you, like Zach will stand behind Kitori. Also, I love that literal massacre when they're trying to raise the spirits and tell everybody they're engaged. Everybody that they're engaged, and, and he's just completely like, because Zach does not emote. Zach's face never emotes in this entire fucking show. It's literally there's oh. like one time I think maybe it does, and that's when a screwdriver falls on him and he yells. But Zach's face does not change, and it's fantastic. <laughs> and he's just like just Aaron's delivery of what's cute, what's so cute about her. All of her is cute, and they're like, oh god, I feel heart palpitations. Heart palpitations. Uh. Uh, like I said, I really was... I was super impressed by Sakia. Um, I did not know who this was when the show got casted. 
I was very much unfamiliar with at least two people in the show. She was the other. She was one of them. We'll get to the other one sooner rather than later. Uh, I want her in more stuff. I want her in like dumbbell esque comedies. I want her in drama stuff because she was she was fantastic for a, a character that uh, I an actress that I didn't really know about until now and. She got all the screaming, she got all the emotionality, she got the kind of valley girl that she, like, has to work out of as Kitarit joins as a character. Uh, and I very much like that despite the fact that, again, we, we revealed this earlier, uh, her and Funisha are clones of one another. That she didn't, she sounded still distinct from Danny's Funisha. And Danny's Funisha is adorable and precious, and I think this is the youngest I've heard her go. Um... I, I am a lot more familiar with Danny playing like older teen or older teen characters like Chise and her role in uh, Mix, um, a little bit in Endro. Endro's still a little bit older sounding than this. Um, I don't. I want to say and I want to give compliments because I can't tell which one of them it was. But if it was Danny playing Funisha in the last episode, where Funisha is older and she looks like identical to Kitarit. Uh, somebody on another Discord I went on actually complained that uh, Funisha Seiyu didn't change her voice. She still sounded the super little kitty Funisha voice. Uh, I was super impressed if that was her. Mm. Um, it sounded nothing like her, and I was like, holy shit. There also uh, is the chance it could have been Sakawa as well, where just not 100%. Yeah, just because, mm-hmm. as like a, a nod, but I really, I really enjoyed everybody in this section a lot, and... I hope that when my boyfriend listens to this, that he understands that Zach is one of the goodest boys on the Astra. And uh, don't worry, Aaron Roberts. I think some people will will not fight you IRL for Zach's honor. Oh, yeah, Zach. Zach. I mean, that was I'll, one of my favorite tweets I'll, on that guy. It's like, Zach's best boy, fight me IRL. I mean, I'll fight you if you want me to. Actually, no. Actually, Jamal, since you're ready to fight. Oh, goody. Uh, uh, Andrew. Andrew, I don't want to host this podcast. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm sorry. Mm. Okay, now you can go to all. Mm. Okay, good, because before we start, I'd like to preface, because uh, Megan alluded to this earlier, because one of my big concerns with uh, diverse casting is Japan doesn't always write black characters very well, and so sometimes I get scared when some people go one-to-one that you kind of have to toe the line with the dialogue. And one step the wrong way, you could really piss me off. Because I know I was kind of worried with this casting. I was worried with, like, what Crone in Promise Neverland. Uh, one character in Fashion Life, but that was Afia you. So when I saw so when I saw these two names pop up and I listened to them, they actually came out very well. And I'm, I'm very glad. It made me happy. It made me very happy, really, because... Uh, well, for one thing, Danny Chambers has always been good at, like, playing the goodness of girls at times. Like, you know, it can be very quiet or very upbeat when need to be. And it's... <laughs> the the fact that Foodie and Kidri the same person <laughs> kind of just... It can kind of confuse you at times, too. Because I remember in Kidri's flashback with Zack, she also played, uh, you know, Kidri. <laughs> and I thought that was very awesome. I don't know if she voice matched Sachiwa for older foodie, but well, I guess we'll find out soon. Uh, Sachiwa? Uh, of course, the only other role I've ever heard of is in Radiant, where oddly enough, she played a 
foodie type character, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, she had a puppet on her head. Anyway, uh... Oh, she yeah. did? Okay, I thought you meant like she was like a young kid or something. No, 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 her dad was a... Yeah, I'll, I'll explain that later. Okay. Uh, but she did a very good job as key to me. Like, she manages to... Because Kaylee managed to use the Vigo type accent, which was similar to what I heard in the Japanese. And she manages to play it off very well, because at the start, like, you know, she's well, not kind of, she is bitchy at times. And then she kind of, you see it kind of mellow out a bit. Up until, like, I guess, what was it? Episode 2 or 3 or so? What? I don't know, I guess after, after Carter became captain, she apologized to Foodie for abandoning her, that kind of thing. The I think that was episode 2. Yeah, yeah, that kind of turned around pretty quick, and I thought she did a very good job turning around that attitude of hers. Though, when she's talking with Zack, like, you know, Zack, she kind of had some sedurish tendencies towards her, because, you know, Zack doesn't emote, he doesn't really say what's on his mind as often. I mean, hell, even the shower scene, like, she Oh, God, just, I forgot <laughs> She didn't. She did not just. Oh up, God, that fucking part too. Yeah, she did not just up front and say get out or anything like that. No, she just she took just a like, brief. I, yeah. I think it was just the fact where it's like, what are what is wrong with you? I've seen you naked before. Yes, but I have curves now. Curves now. <laughs> exactly. So I I saw so I so the way she manages to emote that very well, like it really speaks to it really speaks to the rage in her voice. I really why. See also, more of Sachi. What's up? I was gonna say. Also, like I forgot to mention in my section, one of my other favorite like Kitori moments is when uh, she sees Ares coming out of the water in her bikini, and she's telling her, "You're being too provocative." And Ares is like, "Well, you're being provocative too." No, I'm not being provocative. I'm being sexy. Oh God! If oh yes, the ladder, the ladder, tropical fruits. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bountiful <laughs> fruits. That's I mean, also one of my other favorite Zack moments where Kanata comes out of the water. I caught a fish! I also caught a fish! <laughs> They're literally comparing how big their fish are, and it's like, oh my god. Uh, I think Zack Walker It's a literal cock measuring competition. <laughs> There's I think such... that Zack might actually be my favorite character now. <laughs> They're such good, dumb fucking idiots, and I love all of my children. He's just my fucking boyfriend! He is. It's great. <sighs> anyway! Yeah, speaking of Zack, uh, it was kind of weird to hear Ed Roberts in this role at first, because when I heard it in the Japanese, I knew the, the guy sounded a bit too old. I was like, how are they going to play this in the dub? I thought, like, it's going to be Tatum, isn't it? And then when I heard it was Ed, I was like, Wait, huh, this is a surprise. But Ed matches to pull it off very well. I mean, I think it was actually kind of pretty easy because, you know, when you deadpan, you don't say what's on your mind as much. Like, he didn't, he didn't skirt through it, but he it was it was kind of hard for him to put up this foot, you know? But I think Ed managed to play Zack very well. And <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I was just thinking for a moment I had with him once, like, it's okay if I just share it real quick. Go ahead. So, uh, Andrew over here posted something on his Twitter one time where Hi. he where he had a picture of uh, Mina torturing Mineta from My Hero Academia. And he asked, what is he watching? And I said, handshakers. 
What? As you do. As you do. And Aaron Roberts replied, that was savage. Oh, okay. I was wondering where the fuck this was going. I was like, okay. To which, not only did I forget he was in Handshakers, I also forgot he follows me on Twitter. That's the scary to be thing fair, about- To be fair, a lot of people I think would like would like to forget that they were in Handshakers. That's the scary thing about our position, is realizing we post dumb things on Twitter and realizing, oh, these actors we like and cover actually follow us. I mean, I don't mind from time to time. I don't mind either, it's just sometimes- I just, I just forget it, but that's all. Exactly, it's just like, oh- Hello there, friends. Welcome to the party. I post some weird shit and cute dogs. Yeah. I've seen. I've seen what you post. Uh, I've seen what I post. I know. <laughs> I'm and, sorry, Andy. And speaking <laughs> of, yeah, and speaking of post, would you like to post your thoughts, Andrew? Ah, yes, yes, I would. Uh, so I'll start off with uh, Aaron Roberts as Zach, because Aaron Roberts is exactly what Zach needs to be. He is firm, he is strong, he is intelligent, he knows what he's doing, and he's also a dork who doesn't have a clue in the world. I think, like, as, as I was saying, the Seiyu very much had Zack, even though he's a teenager, play him a little bit older, but I think Aaron Roberts not, is good at both matching that, but also making him sound like his age, maybe a year or two older, but still sounding relatively like a dumb dorky poindexter who just is trying his best and he's a very very good boy the bromance between him and kanata is actually adorable and you can really tell he trusts him with his life as he earns the trust of everybody on that ship and i love the i love the way he bounces off of certain characters i love the way luke is very sassy with him at times I like how some of the other characters bust his balls i love 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 how fucking great him and kitori are and how kitori is so in love with this guy who doesn't have a clue but he's in love with her too and it's just oh you're so stupid kitori is a delicious morosexual it's like He's smart smart, but he's not, like, street smart. The question is if he's sheet smart, if you know what I'm saying. God damn You know what's funny, Andrew? I know, I know look, uh, somebody look, she, has look, a... She was, I, I, no. she was eyeing them, comparing <laughs> their fish. She was looking I'm at those rods. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I'm going to kill him, too. But you know what the funny thing is? What? I know somebody else has another ship. This is actually one of my favorite ships, because, you know... If you know oh, what, I love I love the Quinjareed Zach ship. I'm yeah, sorry, it's like one I mean, of my favorite ships. I mean, it's basically Captain Cook and Lieutenant Uhura, if you know what I mean. Okay, no, no, <laughs> Zach is not Kirk. That feel. What the hell are you talking about? I'm talking about an interracial relationship. Oh, what the hell are you thinking? I, th- I, I, I. I I feel. I'm sorry. I I really do want to apologize to Jamal. I should have thought that that was where that was going. But no, you're 100 percent valid. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, no. Aaron Roberts is delightful as Zach. He he's very firm and really funny when he's very blunt. But it's also like I love where he's got some good quips. Where I think it's somebody was joking about how this is kind of like a horror movie, and Zach's just like, you know, that's exactly what the first character to die in a horror movie would say. 
He's just very blunt, and I love how deliciously blunt he gets when it's just like, oh, I love her. I've been in love with her since forever. We've been married for years. I think she's adorable. It's like, oh, God, you're just going to kill everybody. It's great. And he's just great. Uh, I'll start with, I'll go with Funi next because Danny Chambers is somebody who I've also gotten very used to and accustomed to. And God, she's so, she's so cute as Funicia. Funi's so cute. She's adorable. I want to hug her. I want to pet her. I want to give her snacks and I want to tell her everything's going to be okay. And then Bigo will basically tell me to get away and say, cause Bigo, Bigo is basically the creeper alarm. That's what he is. Or Bigo's basically like, oh, this is all the dark shit I want to say as a child, but who cares? I'm a puppet. And he's great. But no, Funicia, I actually really like Funicia and the dynamic she brings to this group. Because at first, it's kind of like she's very helpless. But as the group, as the trip goes along, as she gets closer to Kitori and everybody else, she is more dependable. Like, she is still a small child, but she is capable and she's able to do certain things as well. And... I love how she tries to be very nice. Like, even in the first episode, dumb, dorky, edgelord Olker is trying to be like, I don't want to be part of your handshake. And she and she's just like, come on, join us. And he's like, oh, I can't, I, I can't refuse you. You're cute. But Danny's adorable. And she's wonderful. And she really does a great job at bouncing off of Kitori and the rest of the cast. And... Yeah, no, Danny Chambers not somebody to be messed with. What I really want to talk about is Sak uh Sakua? Sachua. 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 Uh Ba is I have not seen Radiant yet, so I'm very unfamiliar with her. I was not sure what to think of this performance at first, until I realized no, she is the right amount of sassy and sundere. That it just works. She's really funny. She's got this sassy nature to her. She makes all these great little clips. And she's also amazing at screaming about this weird, weird scenarios of where you're dealing with all these creepy aliens. Like, ew, you look out, weird space creature thingy. She just screams. And she's also the first one to be like, these stupid boys are so dumb. And she's always talking about how dumb and stupid they are. And it's great. It's like, why are hot dudes always crazy is another great thing. But she's also very good at doing these dramatic beats. Especially when it's going on with her issues with her mother. But it's just like this whole thing. It's like when Funi first enters her picture, it's just like, I don't want you to get close to me. Don't get close to me. I don't know how to love. No one ever taught me. And it's just like, she's really good at these dramatic beats as well. And she's really funny. She's really dorky. She's adorable. And she's also very dramatic and competent. She does the whole spectrum. And as somebody who has, I've not heard it before, Sachua is fantastic. It took me a little bit to get used to the Valley Girl inflection, but it's perfect for Kitori as a character. And... She's somebody I was not expecting to like as much of a character as I did, but she's probably, like, maybe actually my favorite girl in the group. And I was not expecting that. She's amazing. And, Sachua, you were amazing, too. I can't hope to hear your more things. Um, okay. Uh, sorry, just a second. Okay, I'll start with Danny Chambers first. Uh, since I probably kind of had the weeks to say about her performance. 
Uh, Danny Chambers is definitely a strong actress. I enjoy a lot of her work. And I definitely enjoy a lot of her work more when he's new things she's been in. And uh, she definitely, she's definitely proven to be very good at playing very cutesy little sister characters. Like, I definitely enjoy her a lot in Mix. Uh, so this is definitely very much her in her wheelhouse, and she basically nails that pretty much right away. From the second Foodie shows up on screen, Danny does a really great job of making her sound, you know, very enthusiastic and cheerful without going into full-on diabetes levels of sugar. And when she does the whole thing, you know, like enunciating her words to make her sound more like a little kid, it never feels fake, and it's always definitely as funny as it needs to be. Uh, but of course, you know, one of the most important things about Foodie is how she plays off of her sister. And I feel that uh, Daddy definitely did a very good job in episode two where we get to see a little bit of Foodie's serious side and how much he kind of looks at Takitori. I thought the delivery of those moments felt pretty sincere, and while Foodie's kind of in the background for most of the show otherwise, I thought that Daddy was definitely very delightful to listen to. I thought she did a very good job. Uh, moving on to Aaron and Zach. Uh, that was definitely interesting for me because I was a little mixed on it in the beginning. Uh, there was nothing really off about his acting, but I did kind of share in the complaint that I saw going around Twitter that other people brought up that he sounded maybe a little old for a teenager. Uh, granted, Shunsuke Takeuchi's voice was also kind of on a deep end and didn't really sound like a teenager, but... Yeah, I was going to say, if you wanted to bring that argument in, like, I heard the Japanese guy, he sounded pretty old too. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, that one didn't sound like a teen, e like a teen either, but that performance kind of leads into a, like, a specific kind of baritone that I'm kind of used to for that character archetype, uh, where Aaron's was, voice was maybe a little lighter and kind of, I guess maybe a little bit closer to what, like, the American view of what a Brainiac character would sound like, so I guess it took a little getting used to for me, but once I did, I definitely thought the performance was very solid. I thought it did a really good job of playing the straight man to everyone else's antics while also being very deadpan in delivery, which was very funny on its own. Um, and I just definitely liked a lot of his interaction with the other characters, especially Kanata and Kitori. Uh, but uh, definitely his standout moments were kind of that bit where he talked with Kitori about his relationship with his father. And I thought that Aaron got a really good did a really good job of getting across the kind of, you know, very quiet frustration he felt that his dad didn't really seem to love him anymore than he would like a pet or a doll. And uh, I definitely especially enjoyed that bit where he tells everyone about his and Kitori's engagement because Aaron's so cold deadpan that playing off of everyone else's like very heightened reactions made that whole scene really funny. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun to listen to. Not my favorite performance of the dub, but it definitely gradually won me over and I very much enjoyed it by the end of it. Uh, moving on to uh, Satchima by Kitri. Uh, I'll be honest, it was just kind of the performance I was the most shaky on. I definitely liked her performance during a lot of these shows' comedy segments. I thought she did a really... I thought she did a pretty good job of snarking off the other characters. And uh, while I'm not sure if going for the whole Valley Girl accent was kind of the best choice for her, I thought it did a really good job of making her sound, you know, very distinct for the other girls, so I definitely do appreciate it in that respect. Uh, but where the performance kind of lost things for me was whenever Kitori had to be emotional or serious, because for me, in those moments, he sounded either a little rough or kind of outright flat, to be honest. I definitely wasn't very sold on her delivery in episode two, where Kitori talked about how her mom never taught her how to love. Uh, her line read there kind of felt a little stilted for me, and it kind of took me out of the scene a little bit. And I both of this felt a lot of the moments where Kitori had to, like, cry or anything kind of felt a little off to me. And there were times where I felt more like I was just kind of listening to an actor in the booth, and that just didn't sit right with me, I guess. 
Uh, to her credit, I do think she definitely got better as she went along, and I definitely liked how she headed titled creatures break down in episode 9 a lot better where the kids find out they're all clones and I thought she did a really good job of making her sound vulnerable in that moment and that was definitely the moment I bought and that was definitely the moment I bought onto her performance on the serious end of things and I guess it's part of me that maybe wonders if maybe having to maintain the Valor Girl accent kind of threw her performance off a little bit because I generally think she sounded more emotional whenever she wasn't trying to maintain that uh, but yeah you know that's uh, I don't know. That's that's a thing, I guess. Uh, but uh, like I said before, though, I do think she improved a bit as she went along, so I don't want to be too down on her. And it might, and well, it might just be because I'm like the least familiar with her voice next to one other person in this dub. I also did like the best of everyone else of making Kitori's mom sound very distinct from Kitori, so that you wouldn't catch on to the whole clone twist right away. Uh, but uh, other than that, I do hope she gets the chance to make a stronger person on other Funimation does going forward, but as for this one, she was probably my least favorite performance out of the kids. Hmm, okay. Okay, so for our next pair of characters, we have Olgar Zweig and Luca Esposito. Uh, Olgar... <laughs> Uh, Ogre is pretty much the lone wolf of the group and comes off as the most suspicious in addition to, be very, to being very handy with a gun. Uh, well, Luca is kind of the most outwardly friendly member of the group and kind of excels in making crafts. So, who did we have for these two? Uh, I had... Okay, okay. Should I... I'll say my predictions first. But then I'll talk more about once we get more into the characters. Uh, for Ulgar, I had two d p people in mind I thought would be very good edgy boys. Uh, Stephen Fu and Clifford Chapin. As for Luca, for specific reasons, I thought somebody who, who could do a bit more of a ambiguous kind of voice, but still have a bit of a, f a femininity to it. Uh, Afia, you, and Lucy Christian. Okay. Uh, Megan? Uh, are we doing predictions for everybody? Yeah. For Luca and, uh... Ogre. Okay, sorry. Uh, let me grab my list, because it disappeared on me. Uh, so I actually knew the thing about Luca before going into this, so that actually uh, played into some of my things. But for Olgar, I had Stephen Fu or Kyle Ignacy's. And for uh, Luca, I had Afia Yu, Ryan Reynolds, or Colby Lewin. Interesting. Cool. Uh, uh, for Olga, pick someone who could do Emo very well. So I had Dallas Reed, Rico Fajardo, and Justin Briner. And uh, I had a hunch about Luca a bit, especially the Japanese. So I had uh, Steven Fu, Caitlin Barr, and Megan Shipman. Oh, cool. Um, as for me, uh, for Ugar, I definitely wanted somebody who could do a very good AGT voice. So I, of course, went with our favorite wizard, Damon Mills. And, uh, for and for Luca, since I read the manga, I was obviously very aware of the twins, so I wanted somebody who could sound a little androgynous. So I figured Blitzy's I know would be a pretty good pick. Interesting, okay. Um, as for who's actually playing these characters, uh, for Olgar, we have Christopher Dontrell Piper. And for Luca, we have Kieran Strange. Um, Christopher Dontrell Piper has played such characters as Dispo from Dragon Ball Super. Hardy from Garo Vanishing Line and Viz O'Neill from Copcraft. 
Uh, as for Karen Strange, I couldn't actually find any other credits, so it seems like this is actually their first role in Funimation. So this is their first is. anime role, but they Ever. they were also uh, Lorelei in Borderlands 3. Neat. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, would you like to go first? You be he. We, she. I went first last round, not me. Okay, so I guess <laughs> me. Uh, okay, uh, okay, yes, you, okay, yes, Andrew, you were the last person to speak. Cool, cool, cool. Thank you. Anyways, I'm going first for Connor to and Aries. Right, so. right, right. Okay, <laughs> we're we're doing freeform with this. Um, so I'll start with Olger. Olger was the one I think I was the most unsure of. I feel like with most of these casting picks, I saw a certain name attached to them. I'm like, yep, that works. That works. That works. That works. That works. Not sure, but you could work. You could work. He, Christopher Dantel Piper is the one I was the most, really, towards what I first saw. Because Chris has a very deep cadence to his tone of voice. One I did not think lended itself so well to an edgy teenage boy. I was kind of skeptical when I first saw this particular pick. But then I got to hear more of them actually do the part. It works better than I was expecting to. That level of edge, that level of standoffishness, as well as the raw, angry burst of emotions about about his brother, about uh, at the politician Esposito that was Luca's father that realization that my brother died in vain trying to tail this thing and I don't know what to do going forward that idea that I am alone I don't need friends and realizing no you actually do want to be close to people you're stupid for being edgy we're going to tear these walls down for you and Chris Chris actually surprised me a lot doing this kind of role just because i'm like i said i'm very used to playing like deeper deeper characters or something like dispo which is just this kind of weird like dorky speedster speedster superhero but this is a much more like solemn laid back like for the record this is a kochi U- uchiyama role and kochi uchiyama plays a lot of edgy teenage boys granted he himself also sounds a little bit older at this point but it's just kind of like, yeah, I was not a so figuring Chris would be the kind of role for this, but honestly, he grows into it very well, and especially in the episode where it counts, uh, which is episode six, where he pulls the gun out, he puts all of those emotions on the line, puts it all on the table, lets him be angry and vulnerable in the booth, which is really interesting, and he... Like, this seems like this could have been a tough thing to do, but I think Chris actually manages to do it very well. Now, let's talk about Kieran. Kieran is really, really interesting. And we ha- we this is one of the things where you have to mention a particular facet of who Luca is as a character to go into this performance as well. Luca as a character, is intersex. Meaning that 
Luca possesses both male and female sex characteristics. Luca feel is kind of this mix of both, but also feels like neither as well. Luca is... Even then, that doesn't... That is a big factor of who Luca is, but who Luca is is also just somebody who is very kind, very dorky, very sweet, very helpful with crafts and trimming hair and tools and art, but is also very sweet and kind and friendly to everybody. And that facet of Luca as a character is that Luca is both. But also could be either. But as for which one Luca chooses to lean into, it's very interesting. And I believe a thing that's interesting about uh, Kieran is they themselves are also on the LGBT spectrum. Yeah. And that is very much like, for their background, an important part of having to represent this kind of character, but also being good for the role. Like, it's not just a matter of, like, like, they are appropriate for the kind of character Luca is, but Kieran is also exceptional for the role and adds a level of, like, dorky sass to this character. And it's just very much... He can... Luca can dish out the bark and the bite all at once. Luca is very friendly and dorky, but also sassy and sweet, but also gets very emotional because Luca doesn't have a lot of attachment to his family because his father is a dick. Is a dick, as well as his original is a bit of a creep. I'll let Megan talk more about that one. Says, but no, it's Luca is Luca. And here's the thing, whether they choose to lean more into being male or female doesn't really matter, because Luca's kind of a bit of both. And is an experience, and is great. And I actually really like the way Luca appears at the end of the show, because they seem very gender fluid in the way they present themselves. Because, like I said, I say he, a he as well, but Luca very much could, is Luca is Luca. Luca is who they choose to be, and they choose to be who they want to be. And I think Kieran is especially impressive at presenting the voice for Luca because Luca is both a, a bit of male and female, and there's a level of bringing that level of sensitivity and that level of gruffness to it as well. And it's really presented very well. And especially impressive because Kieran is a native UK resident. They actually... Yeah, that's the part that blows my actual mind about this all. They had to actually do, like, American voice training for this part. So it's like, Elizabeth Maxwell's not the only one who did voice training for this. Uh, Kira did as well. I believe I believe they said that they were studying under uh, Karen... Ka Karen Strassman. Karen Strassman, actually, which I, I heard that. I'm like, wow, that's really interesting. And... Kieran's amazing at sounding natural. Like, if you didn't know, you wouldn't know. And it's impressive. And it's great. And Kieran, holy shit, Kieran, you're nailing it. You, I, I understand the amount, the amount of pressure that must go to representing, like, an LGBT character like this as well. But you did this character justice. You were amazing. 
you were phenomenal and you were definitely a standout performance of the show. And now that I'm done talking about uh, these per- jump in. performances, I just want to say one thing before I hand the baton to you. These two are totally fucking. They are. <laughs> like. Olga, I don't do friends. Luca, but do you do boyfriends? <laughs> the answer is yes, because they sort of imply that, oh yeah, he crashed at my place and hasn't called in a while, which is basically, oh, they fucking. <laughs> nice try, series. Just because Olga at the end has Phoenicia's pin on his hat don't mean shit. There's a seven years age gap. Oh yeah, no, um, there, there's nothing there. They are just good friends. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll I'll keep the Luca train going because Jesus, actual Christ, uh, I had not heard Karen's voice, Karen's voice until Caitlin put those Q and A videos out, and I was like, "You are kidding me!" I did. I was like, "Holy shit, this is so good!" Because I will not lie, Luca is the is especially one of the characters I one hundred percent prefer in the in the English over the Japanese. Um, and looking into it, I believe Lucas Seiyu is also um, relatively new. I didn't see a lot of credits behind them. But I always felt they they were playing Luca too feminine and not androgynous. Uh, to which, if Luca, Luca is identifying feminine, that's, that's Luca. Because Luca says some days... I know Jet posted the manga from it. Where Luca talks a lot more in depth about how they feel on a daily basis that they didn't put in the anime, right, Jet? Yeah, uh, yeah. Specifically, uh, I think it's like that. Some days he looks at Kanata as like, "Man, you're hot," but he also looks at Ares as like, "Oh, damn, she's hot too." In short, Luca is a bisexual mm. as well. Yeah, basically. Um, but. I really, like, I'll, I'll openly admit that when I watched uh, the episode, episode six, I think, is is the big one. That's the Luca, big one, right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I watched that in Japanese, I was like, oh, this is really cool. But when I sat and watched it in English, I almost started to cry because Kiron's performance was, like, really moving. Uh, because it's not only is Luca talking about their, their gender identity and what it means to them but also how much it it genuinely hurts that they're the parent that they they thought loved them obviously this stuff happens before they find out that they are a clone um that luke is a, he is a clone like just the whole idea of the fact that luke is a character who once they found out that they weren't in some binary sexual box like with their gender and their identity uh, started to be ignored and left out and disloved. And for a lot of people, that's going to hit really close to home. Um, and the way that Kieran acts it, where it's like, how much of that moment is also based on personal experience? Because it was very, like, it was raw in the best way possible. It was just very, like, the gravity of that moment in that situation where because if, if you don't see it, it, it Luca doesn't get to come out to the group on Luca's terms mm-hmm. Luca comes out on Olgar's terms because Olgar is going to kill Luca for being the son of the man that killed his brother and just before all this we do a lot with Christopher Dante Piper letting it loose as Olgar 
as my dad doesn't love me. My family has always treated me like I am disgusting garbage. Uh, and at that point in his life, he doesn't know why his his dad's doing this and why his mom and dad hate him uh, and stuff. And it's this moment where they kind of come together and they realize that they both have had it awful. And it's like, it just the way that Kieran comes out of that is like, yeah, like... They're sad about it and it upsets them, but they're they've come to terms with it and they're ready to move on with their life and to become the person that they want to be. And I like how that also comes forward in uh, episode nine or ten, where they're where once this has all kind of come out that they're clones and that their parents have sent them away to die because their original plan for them has has is is up in smoke because now the second that they do a DNA test on any of these kids it's going to find out that they're illegal clones and it's going to come back and bite them and get them arrested and lose everything um, where Lucas says I've discovered more about my body and I'm I'm more comfortable with the person I want to be um, I I genuinely got a lot of that in Karen's performances it's one of my favorites in the show and especially from uh, an actor who's this is they're new to anime Obviously, I know that Kieran's Lorelai in Borderlands 3, but I don't know how much of a different, like, skill set is there for video game voice acting and, like, uh, anime voice acting. Um, and just, the one other thing I would really like to say is, I, I kind of wanted to get into this a lot more in depth than Final Thoughts, is a lot of the, the ethos of this show. And I think that... Uh, Luca is one of the the very like oddly prime representatives of this is <coughs> Luca's original um is a cisgendered man and their big thing that they wanted to do is uh and and Quint Kitarit's original uh says you had a lot of requests for yours and so they're already treating these these characters that we know and love, especially by episode nine, you're three fourths of the way through the show, uh, that we know and love not as their own beings, but as objects and toys for them. And I specifically say toys because Luca's Luca's original is just just absolutely just a fuck awful person. <laughs> um, uh, and I'm I'm stealing this argument, I believe, a little bit from this week in anime is that. Uh, Luca's original wants the ultimate body, and they're played by Damon Mills. Um, they want the ultimate body for the, the ultimate expression. And it, it's just like this idea of like somebody who fetishizes gay bodies, where it's like, I am this like transcendent being and stuff, and it's it's, no, you're, you're going to take away Luca's identity and how Luca feels and how Luca has gone through this whole life and you're and this obviously extends to everybody in the show but just I'm using Luca as the example right now um and just you're gonna overwrite this character that we know and love and especially with a lot of the performances in the show that we we've that have really endeared you to it to like this awful fucking thing uh and I've realized now I've been ranting a lot about Luca and how much I, I adore Siren in this um, so I want to transition to Olger, who I was really surprised because I, I, let's be real, I don't fucking watch Dragon Ball unless I'm made to, um, which is usually when I'm hanging out with you people. Pretty much. Because we all watch Toonami and everyone fuck knows I fucking hate watching it. Uh, so I, the only thing I've really ever heard him as is Dispo until I watched Copcraft, which we recorded before this. Um, and I, I, I really enjoyed him in Copcraft. 
Um, Olgar is, for me, the performance that I, I feel the most shaky about. There are times where I feel like it's a little rough and and stuff, and it's not as smooth as Koki Uchiyama's performance, but then again, Koki Uchiyama is a master at playing characters like this. That is Koki Uchiyama's bread and butter. He literally played a very similar character the season before in uh, Son of Domni as Toy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was basically like, okay, cool, now it's Toy in space. Um, it's got a family issues, all that shit. But I think that by the end of it, Chris really did come around. I will say, though, that Chris is by far, I think, the weakest of the adults to kids. Mm. He was the one where it sounded a little too similar to each other. Um, but I, I, I am having a hard time saying things because I'm so fixated on on talking about Luca because Luca is my, my favorite character in the series. And I, I think he's a lot of people's favorite characters in the series for a lot of the reasons that we, we praise Kieran's performance as and, and stuff. But I I really did like Chris. I think it was a solid performance. I don't think it was the best in the show, but it's also not like this is god awful, please change it. Mm-hmm. Um he is he's he's kind of by far my like most middle of the road performance. That's fair. Uh Jamal. Okay, so starting with Olga. I will admit it did take me a little while to get used to Chris Piper's voice, but I actually kind of liked it because the thing about this character is like when he starts off, you see his face. He has kind of this surfer dude kind of aesthetic, and he's kind of angsty. So I didn't want like somebody typical, like you know, like he looks like a character Greg Sipes could play. Let's put it that way. If you know who Greg Sipes is, more power to you. Uh, but. Yeah, it did take me a bit to get used to until episode 5 when he starts holding Luca at gunpoint. And that's when the raw emotionality started to come out. Like, I could pretty much feel every word Chris was saying at that point. Because he's reverberating his feelings about like how nobody loved him, how he was mystery is garbage. And, and Luca's father is pretty much suspected to have killed his brother. Though we don't officially know that yet, but and that that scene kind of captivated me a bit, and then and then uh, we kind of move on to Luca, Luca, who we learned as kind of intersex. I'll be honest, when I first heard this performance, I actually thought it was Morgan Berry at first, but then when I hear this new person named Kieran Strange, I'm like, sounds pretty good. I wonder what more you could do. Then I saw the twist. I was like, "Oh my god, this is this is beautiful." Because the thing about it is, most times when I see a new person involved, I I want to understand what they're about, like how to know, like how they act and everything. Because with a new voice, it, it's kind of tough to understand at times. So I saw this person had been following me even before. They announced they were in Astra, and I was like, huh, maybe, maybe I should understand what they're about. So I checked out Kieran's Twitch. Salute, I salute you, Coffee Commander. To be fair, I have not played Borderlands 3, even though I just bought the thing. All I'm going to say but, is uh, Kieran's character God. in Borderlands sounds nothing like Luca. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, but then again, Kieran is a strange person, so... <laughs> yeah, 
Kieran hasn't gotten to Borderlands 3 themselves yet. They're playing through 2 right now, so... They're also moving. Oh, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, completely un unrelated to the performance, uh, Kieran, your doggos are very good. Yeah, Kieran, Kieran seems to be pretty exceptional. Because I was wondering like, how they were going to handle the twist that came in. And when I saw that, not only did Luca... Uh, probably display that that they're neither male nor female. It also helped Kieran grow as a person because Kieran really loved this performance that he gave out, and it it's kind of it's kind of jaw dropping because a, a topic like this is something I've never really dealt with. So I'm glad it's in a show like this because. It helps me to make it understand. It also helps to prove that this is just more than your average thriller. Cause again, that whole gunpoint scene—it's just—it's just really captivating. Like it really speaks to the depth of the show and where the show is gonna go from there. Cause you, cause this show has more twists than pretzel. Let's be honest. If I had to describe what the show kind of reminds me of in that way, it very much feels like a Spike Chunsoft. Uh, Kotaro Uchikoshi kind of game. Basically something like, uh, the, uh, oh god, why am I blanking on it? Uh, the Zero Escape and the Isomnium Files games. Isomnium, didn't it come out recently? That did come out recently. That That's a, that's his, like, recent game that he worked on. But something with a uh. lot of mystery, suspense, you got a small cast, but there's a lot of twisted turns and things under the hood that you're not suspecting. Yeah, so I'm kind of interested to see where Kieran goes from here. And uh, I think in the way to add to your question, Megan, uh, there is a kind of a different skill set, but Kieran only records few scenes, so Kieran probably doesn't know how the story itself is going to unfold in Borderlands 3. Like, they're now making their way through Borderlands 2 to get up to there. Because I've only seen maybe a couple of their Twitch videos that's all I have to say, and I salute you, Coffee Commander. Hmm. Okay. There's um, a lot to talk about, I'm sorry. No, it's okay, I mostly... It's okay, I'm mostly spending my time getting kind of irritated on Twitter. Anyway. Uh, Stay <laughs> off Twitter if you're getting irritated, don't worry about it. Fuck them people. Alright, um, so, starting with uh, Karen is Luca, uh, Okay, obviously, uh, Kieran's performance as Luca was kind of my first impression of as an actor, and I thought it was a pretty good one. Uh, even going into the Japanese side of things, I was kind of a little worried the anime was going to have Luca sound kind of feminine, so I'm definitely very glad that Kira's, that Kira's performance definitely is not that. I mean, like, it would have been fine if it had it, but, you know, given how certain sections of the internet tend to react to these kind of topics, I'm definitely glad I had a little less room to stand on, but always nice. Uh, even before getting into the whole revelation, I liked how Kieran was able to make Luca sound pretty open and carefree, and I like how well they kind of bounce off of Christopher and Kyle's actors during some of the comedy bits. I definitely appreciated that while, that while Luca kind of rubs on some of the other characters a little. Uh, Kieran gets across that it's usually done in a very kind of joking way, and that Luca feels like the kind of person who's nearly impossible to, get to not get along with. I mean, but of course, as fun as Luca is, the thing that was definitely going to make or break the whole thing for me was how 
Uh, Kieran handled the whole thing where uh, Luca reveals their inter attacks, and I definitely glad to say uh, Kieran really knocked that one out of the park. Uh, well, Luca is obviously you know, very confident in who they are, and you know has pretty much locked since got the terms with that. Uh, obviously, uh, Luca wasn't added on their terms, and okay, you know, and having to talk about the way their father uh, looked down at them after finding out about it was clearly something you know uh, Luca wasn't very comfortable with talking about. And I thought that uh, Kerry just handled all those mixed emotions really well, and he just came through really strongly. And by the end of that whole scene, I just really wanted to give Luca a big hug. So, like, it was really well done. And, uh, yeah, it was definitely one of my favorite performances of the dub, but I definitely hope Kerry gets more work in the future because uh, their career is definitely off to a really strong start. It was good. Uh, getting into Christopher Dontrell Piper's Olgar, I will admit that when I first saw he was playing Olgar, I wasn't quite sure how that one was going to work out. Uh, I was a little more familiar with uh, Christopher's work thanks to hearing him as Dispo and Super, and I definitely liked him in that role. Uh, but I also knew his voice was a little on the deeper end, and compared to Koko uh, Uchiyama's performance, I mean, well, it was definitely a little deeper compared to Koko Uchiyama's performance. And I also know that he kind of has, like, a little bit of an accent, so I wasn't sure how quite it was going to, how well it was going to quite fit for, you know, the whole Teen Edge Lord thing. And for the first episode or two, I thought he did maybe set a little too deep for the character, since Christopher was so kind of clearly trying to find his groove. Uh, but once he did, I ended up enjoying the performance a lot. And uh, while the voice itself stayed on the deep end throughout the whole show... Uh, Christopher's acting kind of steadily improved with each passing episode. Uh, for the first few, you know, he mostly just had to make the occasional side remark, and I thought he made Olgar, you know, sound evil enough for that to work. Uh, but as Olgar gradually opens up to the members of the crew a little more, Christopher's performance gets a little more expressive. And really, you know, I really like seeing the performance kind of grows alongside the character. And on that note, I definitely got to say that uh, Christopher's best moment as Olgar was definitely when Olgar kind of reveals what happened to his brother and how his father kind of blamed him for his death. And, you know, how much pain he's still in over that. And I thought that Christopher's delivery had not only got across that scene really well, but it was just one of the most emotive parts of the whole dub. And it, it really impressed me. I mean, if I had to give his performance any negatives, it would be that while I thought he did a good job of making Olgar's dad sound, like, well-aged... And there were, there were definitely a, a few points where it felt like he was kind of straining his voice a little bit, and it kind of hurt his acting a little bit. And uh, also, while we aren't uh, talking about him, while I'm glad that Caitlin casted another black actor for Olgar's brother, I did think that Gabe Kunda's voice sounded a little too deep for that character, and it was kind of distracting. Oh yeah, that was that. That's a thing I think you should probably mention as well. Is that? Uh... Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Olgar's brother is played by Gabe Kunda. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, again, I thought, I like that as far as consistency goes, but his voice sounded a little too deep for me. It kind of distracted me a little bit. Okay. Uh, but uh, those things aside, I thought that this was a performance that I felt improved the most over time. And while I wasn't too sure about Christopher going into the dub, uh, by the end of it, it was definitely one of my favorite performances, and I'm really glad Caitlin took the risk in Cassigan. Mm. Okay. So, hey. before we move on, I have one question for you. Go ahead. Luca and Olger, who tops? Yes. Luca! Luca. 
Yeah, look, uh, you I mean, chose correctly. Well, well, Olga's a mild thing, you know. Yes, my okay. My favorite. <laughs> that is my favorite shitty T-shirt. Favorite. My favorite dub T-shirts are just mild thing that Olga wears, and then uh, Luca's transient love, which is amazing. Also, can we talk about the fact that like. Basically, anytime time gets too full of himself, uh, Luca whips the big guns out to try and, like, get him off his groove. I just enjoy, like, it's like, what was your favorite part of this trip in the last episode? Like, what's the thing you're going to remember? And it's Luca's like, when I was forced to strip and I showed everybody my boobs, can you please stop bringing that up? Never. I, I just I just left after that whole, mo- that whole gunpoint moment, like, Luca just teases Olga for oh, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, Luca has him by the balls. It's great. So do you think... Did they all have their own rooms on the ship, or did, were they were they sharing bunks? I think they had their own living quarters. Yeah, it seemed like they did. I mean, at the very least, Olga was definitely by himself. Uh, Olga is just polishing his gun. Uh, Yeah, also, okay, also, uh, like, it's a totally unrelated note, but, like, okay, I know this show was trying to play up Olgar as being the traitor for, like, the longest time, but it's like, come on, they made that way too obvious it wasn't him. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very Dog and Ropa. It's like, okay, yeah, you're too obvious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and with that, uh... Let's go on um, to the yes. truth. <laughs> yes, let's go on to the actual traitor. Uh, so for our next pair of characters, we have Yun Hua Lu. French. <laughs> uh, for our next pair of characters, we have Yun Hua Lu and Ch- and Charles. 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 My bad. Lacroix. Okay, Lacroix. My bad. It's Wade. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Lacroix. I just call him Lacroix to be an asshole. It's uh, actually pronounced Lacroix. I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I think it is actually. Ah, uh, the tang of a shitty white people drink. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so... Uh, oh, the distinct tang of white people. Okay. Um, so, anyway, uh, Yunwa is the most quiet and reserved member of the group who doesn't like to stand out. While Cherish is the biology expert and one of the friendlier folks on the team, he's also uh, kind of the traitor meant to ensure all the kids died in space before dying himself. You know, that's such a pretty face. It'd be a shame if something were to happen to it. It's a shame if it would become so punchable. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, uh, who did you predict for these characters? Okay. I had uh, two for each of them. For uh, Yunwa, I thought Felicia Angel or Leah Clark would be good fits. And for Shars, I needed somebody who could sound very stoic and handsome. And I thought both Austin Tyndall and Brandon McGinnis were acceptable fits for that role. Good lord, Austin Tyndall would have made Shars more punchable sounding. Probably. <laughs> I'm sorry, I think it's like it's I think it's an actual talent if you can make a character sound vehemently punchable. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh my predictions for Yunha were Leah Clark or Brittany Lauda. And my predictions for Shars are going to make everybody laugh. <laughs> because I put Justin Briner and Clifford Chapin. Yeah, I could see either. Uh, yeah, 
Uh, what about you, Jamal? Uh, for you, I wanted someone who could be very meek. So I had Caitlin Glass, Kristen McGuire, and Alexis Tempton. Uh, for Charles, I had the Steven, Steven Food, Steven Sanders. I also had Brandon McInnes. Okay. Okay. Um, so, let's see. For you, uh, I wanted somebody who could do soft-spoken and also maybe sing if need be. So I said Amberly Cotters. Uh, for uh, as for chairs, uh, this one is going to be very interesting uh, considering who plays Kanata. Uh, but uh, this was where I put Josh Grail. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, just... uh, 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 okay, I mean, well, okay, no, I'll mention it when I actually get to Kanata. But uh, this dub was a definitely very interesting for me in terms of my predictions. Uh, so anyway, getting into who actually plays these characters. For for Yunwa, we have Don Bennett, and for Shares, we have Jason LeBrett. Uh, Don Bennett has played such characters as Misaki from 18F, Esmeralda from Gar the Animation, uh, Sophie Fukami from Cut on the Right Answer, and Jessica Edwards from Legend of the Galactic Heroes and Oiteze. Uh, as for Jason LeBrecht, he's played such characters as Trade Hartnett from Black Hat, Yato from Noragami, Rob Lucci from One Piece, and Dobby from My Hero Academia. Uh, Megan, I believe you said you wanted to go first. No, I want to go first in the next section for okay. reasons. I just oh, went yeah. first, um, so. Okay, so Jamal, you go. Jamal. All right, I guess. All right, let's get this out the way. Uh, hi, Don Bennett, how you doing? Uh, Don, while. She was pretty good at being timid. I actually thought it was kind of one of the weaker performances. Not because the performance was bad. The performance was good. It's just that after Yudwa's arc, they kind of put her character in the background. So she didn't get as much to do in the show until the last episode. Which I thought the last episode was pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But she just didn't stand out as much to me, even though... You was like one of my aesthetics. Like I really like this character. So, but Jason LeBrett on the other hand, Charles, because I mean it's not the first time I've heard him voice Pretty Boy. But to be not only to be fake convincing, but to be it's always the one you least expect. But well, Jason LeBrett managed to play both sides of the, of uh, almost come though both sides of Charles very well. Especially with the emotionality that Charles has to deal with, because, you know, it's <laughs> bringing up the whole cloning thing again. Like, he has to essentially deal with himself. Both of them pretty much have to deal with themselves, point out the other to be useless, you know. I guess a waste of space in some way. But in Charles' case, he's given the chance to, I guess, commit suicide, as you would kind of say, but... I thought I thought Jason did very well. Like it was kind of exceptional. And uh, well, getting right into it, let's get this out of the way. When they had to play the parents, because I thought before I found out the casting in episode five, I thought uh, Unwa's mom was going to be Caitlyn. I was like, wait, who is this voice? So when I found out it was Don, I was like, of course, it makes sense now. But. J- Jason is no effects. You could not, you could barely tell that was him because, you know, it sounded pretty distinct between the two. And while I'm from more familiar with upper range, it's, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes because, I mean, for anybody 
And we brought it up earlier with the whole Borderlands thing, because if anybody's ever played Borderlands, you'd know him as Mordecai. Oh yeah, Morde he is Mordecai. And Mordecai is nothing like Noel Charles. <laughs> and that's a that's I guess that's kind of a testament to his rage. Like I'm surprised I'm speaking this much about Jason Liebrecht. This is this is impressive. That's how impressive he is in this role. Especially when you get to the last two episodes for reasons I will explain later. <clears throat> Sorry, that was me. I had something in my throat. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm dead. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, do you go? Uh, yeah, you can go back in. Sorry, Andrew. I keep going to the middle. It's all good. Uh, so I'll go with Dawn as you Shut up, Andrew. Shut your up, I'm sorry. I heard the phrase and I couldn't help myself. So do you want the left kneecap or the right kneecap, Jamal? I'll be why not? Why not both? I'll behave. I'll behave. No, so Yunha... Uh, Donna's Yunha is fine. Um, like Jamal says, J Yunha has her episode, then Yunha is kind of like the least important member of the Astra. <laughs> um, Yunha's Yunha's here for the ride. Which is a shame, because uh, I actually really like her. Which is a shame. She's really pretty. Um, yeah. Yunha, I think Don does a really good job expressing Yunha's, uh, immense, immense social anxiety at the hands of extreme emotional abuse. Because Yunha, because her mother didn't want her standing out, because oh god, when I when this girl gets old enough and I transition into her body and keep my career alive forever, no one needs to know what she looks like, and she can't have her own career. Um, so I think Dawn gets that across really well, and she has that. She has the most mature voices of the girls because she's also by far the tallest and the most like she's the big girl. She's the big girl on the team. Um, I really, really do hope. I'm, I'm not gonna hold my breath if they don't. I'm not gonna like suddenly think that Dawn's performance is absolute ass if they don't dub the songs for this. I understand that music rights are held separately usually from the animation, so if it happens, I cannot wait to hear Dawn sing her two songs in this. Um, but she sounded great when she got to sing the non musically back stuff, because she does get to sing a little bit in one of the episodes. I thought she sounded fantastic. Um, Overall, I think Yoonha is very solid. I wish I could say more about her, but Yoonha doesn't have a lot of screen time. Let's talk about the traitor and the punchable face. Mm -hmm. uh, Frenchy fr Frenchiest fry over here. Uh, Shars. Um. What was that? <laughs> Jamal dying. Okay. First tries was not the thing I would think. <laughs> He's the Frenchiest fry. Because of his I, hair, I right? What? I know, I just always assume that because of his last name, it's just that Charles was, like, French descendant. Oh, I thought it was because of his hair. So, the hair in the face plays into it. He just screams like he wants a baguette. Um, but, uh, god, there's a lot of things to do, and I think based off of a Q&A that Caitlin put, I do think that Jason knew the twist about Charles, and maybe not everybody else in the cast, but I think Jason did, because Jason... If I'm correct, talked about in that video, playing Shars, uh, as if he is not, as if he is lying to them the whole time. Which, uh, there are actually really nice hints of this that I noticed re-watching the show in English. Um, one of them being that when Shars and uh, Jason as Shars first, uh, speaks, um, he sounds very, very much like, 
Hello, fellow kids. How do you do? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, one of the things that I, 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 and it stood out to me a lot more in English, and I really want to give Kristen and Jason, uh, Kristen, Jason, and Caitlin uh, a really big applause to this, is that when Kanata brings up the idea on being so vehement about being captain, everybody else gets it and rejects it, but Shars is like, why would he want to do that? What's so important about the captain position? Like, you would think that someone going on this space trip and who lives in a world where this is normal would get that. That should be second nature at this point to be like, this kid is a full of himself idiot. But Shars is like, ooh, what does this button do? And you can kind of hear it. And that he speaks as if he's not from this area. Like, he really, I, I, that's something I think I, I may be the only person who hear, heard it, but I did think that something there. And yet how it, as it goes down, uh, as it goes across, his performance kind of naturals out as he's around other kids his age. Because that's one of the things about Shars that you learn is that uh, Shars did not grow up as a a human being. Shars grew up horribly abused and as an object, as a tool. And that's affected his psyche. And the fact that Jason plays him as this person who... It, it's I, I hate to bring up Tropic Thunder. I'm a dude playing a dude playing another dude. I, I was sick of oh that earlier, God. but... You know what? I can see it. Yay for... Yay for yay! Thank, thanks, Robert Downey Jr. for creating that meme. Um, but the whole idea that Shars is not only his father, but he's a tool, but he's also this fake person that he's put on to to to, to trick these people into and, and murdering them. But at the same time, he's grown that he doesn't want to. And I think that episode 11 was so well handled by Jason. Like, I I don't know if I'd put this up as, like, one of my all-time favorite performances for him. I know, like, I um, it, it's pretty it's a pretty vanilla statement to say that a lot of us, could, like, in the term grand scheme of Jason Lebrecht things, that a lot of people put Yato very highly on that list. And for good reason. And, and for good reason. Um... This is this is really strong. I don't know if I'd, I'd put it up there as one of my all-time favorite Jasons, but it's incredibly solid, incredibly well done, and I think that he nailed the performance in the way that it needed to be. Mm. So done. Like, Yunwa is really... She's a really nice, pretty character, and I really do relate with a lot of that, like, social anxiety that she has had forced upon her, fearing that she will fail if she stands out, because that's sort of what her mother has installed into her. But then when she starts opening up a little more, wants to change herself, wants to be more open about presenting herself and sit, having her own singing career. When she trims her hair, when, when Luca cuts her hair and she's got the short hair look, she's very, very pretty. She's very cute. And yeah, I think Dawn does a good job at making her sound very awkward, quiet, and sheltered, but also making her very sweet and sincere and open when she does start relating 
to everybody and she starts bonding with everybody. She doesn't get much to do in like the second half of the show, but I really do enjoy her presence and she is a enjoyable member of the crew regardless. And I think Dawn is exceptional. And I also really love her opening up to the audience at the end where it's like, I had a experience that changed my life. I am who I am because of these people that have become part of my life. I dedicate to this song, to their maiden voyage of their new journey. And it's just very sweet. And it's one of those things where it's like, yes, I do hope that something works out with the music rights because I know Dawn can sing and she can sing very well. So if that works out, I'm sure she would nail those songs out of the park. But that's for home video release and you have to clear a lot of rights. So if they don't, I understand. It's cool. Look, only time will tell, okay? Only time will tell, and I'm patient. I have other things to watch. It's fine. Um, (laughs) Exactly. And Jason Lebrecht as Shars. Another thing that's worth noting upon rewatching this and knowing that thing, in episode one, he talks about how he's the one who dropped the communicator to the school. Yeah, Yeah. I I saw that too. I conveniently dropped this. I conveniently dropped it. (laughs) And in the next episode. And also, just... I think Shars is very interesting because he's this very, like, unassuming pretty boy who's kind of a dork, who's, re- who's like, really pretty, but also just kind of a dorky loser who's trying to, like, let all these animals pounce him. And it's just like, oh, this is a bunch of cool stuff. He's really good at baking. He's really good at supporting Kanata and all that. He's really good at being a supportive member because all his life... That's all he's been taught is to be a supporting figure for somebody else. He he gets the chance to be himself, but eventually he will be somebody else's vessel. And Sarah opens his eyes to that he can be more than the sum of his parts and really grows attached to her, which is why he's broken practically when she is murdered by... Who we find out later is Justin Cook, because that's absolutely Justin Cook, I think. Oh, is that who that was? Uh, that's who I think that was. It sounded a lot like Kirishima and, like, Yusuke. Why would Kirishima murder somebody? Exactly. But, yeah, no, I just... There's that level of, like, diabolical nature. I think what makes Sharks interesting when he, you reveal, he reveals his true colors... Which, by the way, I love that sting operation to try and nail him. Because as, yeah. as soon as it's revealed, like, oh... It's ogre. It's like, we just fucking went through this. Who are you fooling? Oh, you have to fool Shars. And then when that sting is done, it's like, oh, you fucking got him so hard. It's so good. But the thing that makes Shark sad and tragic and dangerous is that he doesn't care for his own life. He seriously does not care and value who he is. And Kanata's there saying, fuck you. You matter. Eat a dick. I love you and we love you too. Fuck your feelings. You matter. I love that aggressive positivity that Kanata, like, hammers into him. But also, one of my favorite shots is, like, when he's talking about Sarah, because Sarah is Ares, Ares' clone. When he's talking about the fact that he was helpless in saving her, there's a big symbol of reaching out to somebody in the show, about somebody reaches their hand out to try and grab a hold of somebody. And one of the most visceral heart wrenching moments is when he reaches out for Sarah and he remembers it and he grabs his hand because he failed to grab her and points it at Ares. I'm like, oh, oh, that's one of the best shots and it hurts so good. Oh, fuck. But 
I'd also like to point out now that, like, once you learn that he is the clone of her, like, her original is his original's daughter, uh, I'm not gonna lie that I was like, oh god, at some point of the show, like, he was really overly protective of her. And, like, she cuts her finger and he's like, oh god, get that checked out. And she's like, I'm fine. And I was like, oh, is this show trying to endear them to me as a couple? And then I found out and I was like, nope, I'm not pulling this again. We are not having another Rin and Sakura incident, Megan. Oh, no. It's not as bad as the Rin and Sakura, but it's, yeah, there's there's some things. But, no, it's, uh, Jason sounds very vulnerable and scared, but also regretful and remorseful. And that desire that he does want to live comes out and... That regret for what he does and what he does to Kanata, which we will talk more about in a bit. But yeah, no, I. It's very interesting to see Jason do this, and he's also really good at playing his older king asshole self. He and also child, child, uh, Shars. He's he's very interesting, and I actually really do like his relationship to Kanata and like the regret and remorse and the desire that he does want to live and he does want to make amends and change the world and live for himself, which that's such a, that's such a thing I love is that this show is seeming this, this could be a nihilistic show, but this is probably one of the genuinely most like positively hopeful, even when things are bleak, look towards the stars kind of shows. And I admire that, and Shars is one of the highest representations of that, is that you are not unforgivable. You have a chance to start anew. And when he does, like, oh man, Jason, Jason's fucking really good as Shars. And he, what an interesting character. He's a shithead, but he's my shithead. He's all of our shitheads. We love you too, you fuck. Okay, and so I'll start with Don Bennett and Yudwa, since this one was pretty straightforward. Um, out of all the casting choices in this dub, this one was probably by far the safest, which definitely isn't to say it's bad, but, you know, and as compared to how out of the box the rest of the dub cast is, this was definitely the most round peg goes in round hole type of casting choice. Uh, like, right away, I thought that Don did a good job, you know, getting across to his very ultra-shy personality. And uh, while he doesn't speak, you know, a whole lot for the first couple of episodes, every, every line he does get just kind of helps... Sell how awkward you are feels about other people and her own. Uh, right away, Don does a good job of getting across to was an uh, ultra shy personality, and while she doesn't speak much in the first couple of episodes, uh, every line she does get kind of sells how awkward you are feels about other people and her own self loathing. I mean, and uh, when it does finally come time to dive into Yuwa's backstory, Don is just as effective in showing, you know, how much you how much pressure Yuwa felt not to say that thanks for her mother. And, like, just how much that emotional abuse affected her and how much she really wanted to express herself. And when she does eventually get to do that, and you want chases her look, Don's performance becomes a little more open and confident, and it definitely feels like a very natural evolution for the character. I also like that uh, next to Satsuma Bob, she did the best job of making Yudwa's mom sound distinct enough from Yudwa that you wouldn't reach that you wouldn't, like, immediately piece together the clone twist. And that's who were already, like, really familiar with Don's reign, so I thought that was nice. Uh, my only really, my only serious negative here doesn't have anything to do with the performance, but it was just more that I really wanted to hear Don get to sing. Again, obviously this time was done on the weekly schedule, so the logistics of that probably didn't work out, and hopefully it'll be there on the home release. Uh, but since that's, you know, a pretty integral part of Moonwalk's character, I really do hope that he gets to sing. Um, 
Also, on a very unrelated note, uh, I was kind of hoping this would be fixed by the time the dub came out, but, uh, okay, but you know the song in the final episode is not dubbed, and it's kind of annoying because it's currently very plot-relevant, so, yeah. Oh, no, you did the subs. Them. Okay, yeah, 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 I'm talking, like, even, I'm talking about both 40 subs and the dub version, that song was, like, never subtitled, and it's kind of annoying. That is so, annoying. Yeah, so, yeah, Funimation, y'all need to fix that. Please do it. Uh, so, moving on to Jason and Breakfast Charts. This one was very interesting for me because, uh, like we already kind of said, I expected <laughs> I expected Joss to be charged. So, uh, so, uh, so, Jason was definitely a very interesting choice here. Uh, especially uh, considering who, uh, especially considering who to say he was. But, uh, while I... Well, I definitely can't deny that part of me is so curious how Joss would have played the role. I'm definitely very happy with what we got here. Uh, Charles is definitely a lot more soft-spoken of a character than I'm generally used to with Jason. And uh, while I wasn't totally sure what to expect from that, I thought he did a very good job of making Charles sound, you know, incredibly friendly and generally unassuming for most of the show's run. He also had some, like, pretty good comedic delivery when it came to a lot of Charles' over-enthusiasm. You know, about, like, whatever environments the kids were in, you know, whether it was, like, playing with animals or, you know, just finding new plans and all that fun stuff. I also just, I also just liked how he could be so annoying sometimes and kind of overrides how pretty he is, and I thought that was really funny. And uh, when we do seemingly see Charles' serious side for the first time with his whole fake backstory, uh, Jason did a good job of making that whole thing sound just sincere enough that you wouldn't immediately suspect he's lying. While also sounding maybe a little over dramatic, which kind of helped to enhance the whole effect. I also kind of like how that whole scene was directed, where, like, compared to how the other backstories were, like, his is done in black and white, which kind of helped, which in hindsight helps him sell that it's actually fake. Mm. I, thought that, I thought that was a nice visual choice. This is a well directed show. More on that in Final Thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, what really won me over with his performance is definitely how he handled things when it came time to unveil Charles' real personality. And the way he his voice just carried around just carried across Charles' fanaticism towards the king was like that whole bit was so convincing and actually kinda of scared me a little bit. Like, this is a kid who definitely grew up with pretty much no sense of self and Jason gets that across as perfectly as he can with Charles. And it kinda of makes him sound like a little bit of a drone during all those like childhood flashbacks. And it gives just so much conviction to the worldview that the king plays on the charts that it's almost like immediately possible not to feel just immediately possible not to feel sorry for the poor kid. And I mean, and of course, while Charles is very broken on the inside, uh, the relationship he formed with the other members of the crew definitely affected him a lot more than he realized. And Jason is just as impressive at selling how conflicted he feels over that as he does Charles' kind of fanaticism. And the whole back and forth we had with Kata's actor during that whole scene was definitely one of the most emotionally moving scenes in the whole dub. And uh, like Jamal was saying, I was also really surprised with how Jason played the king. I mean, like I'm pretty familiar with Jason's vocal range at this point, but that definitely sounded a lot more well-aged than basically anything else I've ever heard him do. So I thought that was really neat. And I just really appreciated how cold his delivery was, that you could just really tell that the king solved absolutely no value in charge as anything but an object. And it and it just definitely helped to tell how twisted that whole abusive relationship was. I mean, but uh, while this was a lot of rambling, long story short, I thought that Jason did a really, really fantastic job with this one. 
It's not quite my favorite performance of the dub, but it is definitely a very close second. And it's honestly one of the best things I've heard from him since his Yato and Origami. So, mm. Jason, you done good. And uh, with that, I guess we are good to move on to our final two characters of the evening. I want to talk about the goodest boy and the goodest girl. I want to talk about them. Yeah, Yes, we have our two main protagonists, Kanata Hoshijima and Eri Spring. Uh, Kanata is a young athlete who dreams of someday being the captain of his own spaceship and takes it upon himself to become the leader of the Astra. Ares, on the other hand, is a new transfer student at Carrot High School who, despite being a bit of a klutz, is one of the most insightful members of the team. So, uh, who did you predict for these characters? Uh, before I make my predictions, I would like to say the entire show... Oh, my t- feelings towards the show can be summarized with that one Brooklyn Nine-Nine meme where where she's holding the golden retriever puppy, where it's like, I've only had Kanata for a day and a half, but if anything happened to him, I'd kill everybody in this room and then myself. Jesus. Kanata is such... Me, but with Luca. (laughs) Yeah, fair, okay. Kanata is the goodest boy, and I love him so fucking much. I predicted two uh, actors who I thought would be exceptional for Kanata. I thought Josh Greeley and Rico Fajardo would be excellent fits for Kanata as a character as well as, like, comparing off of his Japanese AU as well. As for Ares, this is where I predicted Don Bennett and Bryn April. Uh, I'll go next. So my predictions for Ares were Krista McGuire or Megan Shipman. Uh, my predictions for Kanata, I had three. Um, I wanted to kind of go all over the place with these and maybe go for people I I don't think were expected, but I thought could work. Um, I put Matt Shipman, Christopher Lewin Ramirez, or Jason LeBrock. Cool. Uh, Jamal. I had three for each. For Kaita, Gordoff is Seiyu, the character archetype. I had uh, Rico Fajardo, Justin Brighter, and Robert McCollum. For Ares, I also had Mega Shipman, but I also had Danny Chambers and Macy Ann Johnson for something different. Ah, cool. Um, as for me, with Ares, I know I wanted somebody who can, you know, tell a little soft-spoken, but still have, like, a very, you know, relaxed teenager voice. So I figured, so I figured Brene April would be a pretty good pick. Uh, as for Kanata, um, obviously I'm pretty familiar with who the Seiyu is, and again, I read the manga, so I had a pretty good grasp of Kanata's personality. So, uh, combining those two things together, knowing I wanted Kanata to, you know, have a bit of a deep voice, but also, you know, be very loud and energetic and kind of a bit of a goofball. I had only one person in mind, and that person was Jason Lebrecht. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I also had him, so I can't even be mad. Yeah, and it's, uh, and for the long, yeah, and, uh, for the longest time, okay, well, not for the longest time, but when, uh, the cast was first floating around, and we're all trying to figure out who was in the cast. I saw that Jason LeBrecht, I saw that Jason LeBrecht like one of the tweets conferred, concerning the series of freaking, oh, okay, Jason is actually Canada. That's cool. And then the cast list actually came out. And who was it? <laughs> You're all fucking Okay. <laughs> so, actually playing Canada, we have Josh Grayley. And for Ares, we have Megan Chipman. Okay, uh, Josh Grayley has played such characters as Kenichi Shirihama from Kenichi, the Mighty Disciple, uh, Nobuchika Kidoza from the Sacrifice franchise, Femp, the King of the Property from Blood Blockade Battlefront, and Zen with Syria Clarence from Snow White with the Red Hair. As for Megan Shipman, she has played such characters as Yuzu Aihara from Citrus, 
Shibatate from Concoy Collection, Snow White from Basketball Girl Raising Project, and Alba Suzukaze from New Game because, you know, Andrew would obviously kill me if I didn't mention New Game. You so, were correct. You, you were correct. <laughs> Can I go? Yes, go, Megan. So while Caitlin Glass stumped me on who on uh, my predictions, I think that she and Josh have a firm grasp on Kanata's character. Go! I really gotta give Look, <laughs> yourself. I gotta give him Look, a Maggie, Maggie. for Josh's amazing performance. I think he really had his finger on the pulse of this I'm one. I'm done. I can't fucking Look. work with you. Just be- look, Megan. Just because you're right does not mean you're correct. I mean, yeah, yeah. Josh's performance goes hand in hand, but still, you are right. It was his right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he caught Charles left-handed. You know, I mean, I mean. <laughs> Uh, oh Lord, the hand pun! I hate all of uh, you people. We're really reaching for some of them, but Jesus Fuck. Christ, I can't even uh, fight okay, anymore. Uh, I Megan, hate this. Megan, okay, Megan, it's Andrew's job to make bad puns, and your puns are hurting him. Oh, oh my! So God. we've no, succeeded. I've been waiting to do this all night. That's not. Yeah, I think I did a pretty all right job. Uh, all right, all right, uh, please. Please, uh, but in all voice. serious, in all seriousness, I'm not even sorry. Um, in all seriousness, Josh does a phenomenal job as Kanata. Like, uh, like I, like I said, uh, Josh Gurley's mystical magical reaction noises are some of my favorite things in anime. I, 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 like, let's be real. What some of my favorite stuff is the 101 ways that y'all, y'all voice actors can like make really weird noises. Like I love really dumb reaction noises, especially in comedies, like like the bah! like those types of noises. And Kanata has them in spades. Kanata is both by far one of the funniest characters in the show, and like one of the most heartwarming and endearing human beings ever put on an animated format. That man makes me feel better about my life. Um, I would follow Kanata anywhere. Like he is, and Josh. Josh does such a good job emoting this character, and I know a couple of us were hanging out on the art, Andrew and I were hanging out on the art anime dubs discord, and, a, and one of the, the guys there said that Kanata was one of the first Josh characters that got him, like, really emotional, and oh, I think a lot of us had come to realize how much Josh has left, like, as an actor, has left, like, such a profound, like, imprint on our hearts, and I think that's what makes his Kanata so good is that he makes Kanata less of a cartoon character and more of a a three-dimensional human being that you could run into at your school who's also going through a lot of shit this is a kid that this is a kid that could have come out of the situation that you learn of in episode one a completely traumatized desensitized pushed a like severed from society messed severed was not intended but you can all cringe inside uh, um, <laughs> basically he would have been Olger. yeah he could have he could have come out a lot like Olger, but worse because you have to imagine that uh unlike Olger, who knows his brother died connor to watch somebody die in front of his eyes and had to live out in the woods for six days and when he comes back, one of the, and I really love Josh's very solemn delivery of this, because you kind of, because not only are you realizing this as 
a viewer, he's also realizing this as a character, is that when he comes out of that situation, that's the only time in his life his father has ever been genuinely concerned about him. And he realizes it's not that Con- he was concerned for Kanata as Kanata. He's concerned as Kanata as my eventual body. Which makes it kind of very ironic that out of all of them, Kanata comes back uh, if the plan had succeeded and they could go into their bodies, the most damaged of all. The, the person who put the, the most absolute effort into training his body that we see like that you see in flashbacks comes back with a body that he would have been absolutely pissed off about having, um, which I find is great irony. Um, but Josh does it all. He does the, the dumb crying. Like Andrew joked about at the beginning of the episode, but I'll miss you gruppies. There, it's him and Aries and Luca and Luca They're all crying. Like I'm going to miss you friends. Um, one of my other personal favorite ones is when uh, Josh says everybody's my girlfriend, and then Ke- and then sh- and then Aries Ooh. runs off and Kitarit shoves the toothbrush up. Oh, he deserved that so bad. Which, by the way, Jet's contact in my phone is literally that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, hi Shinya, I know you want to go out, but Mom's not getting up. You gotta wait. Um, but he is. God, Josh just has so many good performances this year. It's not even fair. Um, this isn't fair, Josh. I can't pick which one of them I like the most this year. I'm probably going to lean towards Kanata because I don't like, I didn't like the quintessential quintuplets as a show as much. So I still thought he was hilarious in that. I thought oh, he's absolutely fucking hilarious in that show. I just don't like that fucking show. Um, but, and then Megan as Aries does such a great balancing act with Kanata where they're both energetic and stuff, but Kanata is like energetic. Like I've drank, I've just drank five straight hours, five, 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 five hour energies for, for 25 consecutive hours of energy. Um, look it up. That's a meme. Uh, and Aries is like light, flirty and fun. She's like being outside on a warm summer's day. God, I sound like a creep. Um, but Megan does that, that really good balancing act and, I think she does an even better balancing act as Sarah, where uh, I know in the Q&A she talks about having to play Sarah as more refined while Aries is more carefree. Uh, but to me, I think the thing that really got me about Aries' performance is how absolutely vulnerable and absolutely like, oh god, I'm tearing up. Um, absolutely like, she nails the part where she finds out that her mom loved her. And that how much her mom has worked to keep her alive and keep her safe and give her a normal human life. And as somebody who's adopted, like, that scene hit really fucking hard. Because everybody else's parents of the show are fucking awful. And just knowing that the one parent who had no genetic ties to the person that they raised was the best of them all. The one who loved them the most. Them the most. And who sacrificed the hardest and did everything she could to keep Aerie safe and never gave up on her daughter. Just Megan's crying and that gentle, like, this gently, this raw yet gentle emotional reaction that, like, fucking got me. I think that this might be one of my favorite Megan Shipman performances of all time. So, absolutely clap clap hats off to 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 dawn uh, sorry to megan and josh i hand things over to the next person 
the ball. I'll start with a mega shit because the reason I had to peg this this character is because watching a lot of her work, she tends to play a lot of flighty characters and or pigtailed characters, so I thought Ares wasn't going to be any different. And for the most part, I was right. Up until you find out the twist with Ares and ha going into that, having to play differentiate herself between Princess Sarah and Ares it's legitimately like night and day is, is very impressive because, I mean, for one thing, you know, Mega Shipman's just being aloof as Ares while being studious as Sarah up until, you know, her eventual passing. I mean, I was going to say something, but I did not want to make a joke about that. That is, that is some serious shit like she had to deal with in episode 11, but... And just the emotionality of it is, is, is very impressive. But I got I gotta give hats off to Josh because here's the thing. Originally I thought Josh was kinda of the safe choice because normally Josh can do no wrong in almost any role you would put him into. Until you get to episode eleven, like actually no, not even that episode nine when he starts theorizing that they might be clones. I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And then, like, and then, like, when he catches Charles and he's he's pretty much having a standoff with him to the point that, like, he literally loses his right arm. That scream. Oh, my God, that scream. Because, oh. Because I, because the thing about that episode was I asked Morgan about this, like, I, how much of Josh, like, did you have to direct? Like, she... She, in their quote, she directed Josh. Like, Josh pretty much, like, I guess essentially took the help because she didn't have to do much work. You, you could, and that goes to, that's a testament to how much, how incredible Josh is as an actor because I thought Kiri's screams were blood curdling. My God. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. I said blood curdling. I didn't think that went through that. I'm gonna I, be honest, Jamal, after all of the shitty fucking things Megan spewed about right arms and stubs, that's nothing. Yes, but having to see that scene, Andrew, that was like bone... God damn it! Bone breaking! <laughs> no, I was gonna say bone chilling, but... Well, it's pretty chilling in space! Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm just as bad. I hate this. I love this. I love you fucks. Continue. Yeah, just give me a minute. Uh, <sighs> I, I, I'll, I'll be clear. Like, right now, it's kind of a three-way tie. More of a two-way tie between Kata and Charles. Because I know in the Japanese... The Seiyu is the same is also voices Tokoyami, so I guess when Caitlyn had to cast this oh, character... Oh, is it also Tokoyami? Yeah! I didn't know that, actually. That's dope. Yeah, Yoshimasa Hosoya. Nice. Yeah, so... Well, uh, you would also probably... Oh, wait, no, you didn't watch Iron Blood and Orphans of Japanese, did you? Did watch what? I, said, oh, I was about to say, oh, no, you didn't watch Iron Blood and Orphans of Japanese, did you? I did watch Iron Blood and Orphans of Japanese. Oh, oh, yeah, he is also order. Oh, neat. Yeah. Oh, man, so having, having to hear that, it's just like, I, I gave 
him, I gave Morgan, I gave Caitlyn the highest place I could, like, on Twitter, that is, like, I'm a, I'm a jumbled mess, because having to see that, that goes beyond anything I was ever even expecting from a show like Astra. But in the end, everything worked out very well, and I guess that's pretty much all I have to say. I mean, I'm out of jokes at this point, so I used up everything I've got, every bit of energy left in me, so who's next? I, Jet, you're, you're up, right? Um, um I believe no. you're okay, forgetting no, somebody. Andrew. Okay, no, no, our mask has to go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cubay, let's go. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, not Cubay, Hornbay. You get no hand for that one, Megan. You get no hand for that. I bit the hand that fed. Ares! Megan Shipman as Ares is super very cute and flighty. She's seemingly very ditzy and aloof at times, wants to be friends with everybody, seemingly seems kind of vulnerable and stuff, but she's a lot smarter and craftier than she lets on. One of the things is that she is a bit of a ditz, but she has a photographic memory and is able to recount certain people, places, and things, which becomes really critical, especially when it comes to finding out one of the big mysteries when it comes to Shars. Because she was very able clearly to tell that it was Kanata and Shars left before they got sucked into the wormhole. And Megan has this lovely, adorable energy that she fills Ares with as this very flighty, cute girl who gets very flustered at the thought of Kanata be realizing, oh no, he's fucking hot. And then realizing, oh no, he's hot and he's stupid. Like, she gets very upset at the fact that it's like, oh yeah, everyone's my girlfriend. And it's like, oh, oh. Kanata asks what color the Pink Panther is. Oh, fuck. Wait, did you just... Yes. I'm not saying that Aries and Kitsurit are morosexuals, but They're, look, I do not want to know. I do not want to know if the carpet matches the curtains. You just keep no, that to yourself. No, 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 whoa, no, Jamal. The jo- okay, you went somewhere completely different with that. Completely different. We well, well, we earned that one. Uh, no, Jamal. There's a post out there that goes along the follow. It's a Tumblr post that goes along the following. It goes. Ah, uh, that explains I'm a lot. I'm a morosexual. I'm sexually and explicitly attracted to morons. Oh, uh, yeah, the yeah, person's that's boyfriend. Right. Hey, hon, what color's the pink panther? God, Derek, you're so fucking stupid. Take off your shirt. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. I'm sorry, just hanging out y'all too much. <laughs> oh, that, that's... It's okay, We're, we all rub off on each other. We cr- uh, that's, that's what these two are gonna do by the time the time skip I'm happens. I'm pretty handy at... Hey, I mean, I've gotten pretty handy with my puns, thanks to Andrew. Hands down, this is going to be probably the most disgusting episode. <laughs> good one, Jamal. I fucking hate you people. Anyways, no, Megan Shipman does a very good job being very flighty and adorable and cutesy, but also being very sincere, earnest, and heartfelt, especially when all the big dramatic revelations, and you can tell she really wants to believe in her friends, and she's also really good at playing Sarah. And Sarah sounds, like, genuinely regal and refined and sweet, which is very different sometimes than what I'm usually used to hearing Megan Shipman do. And she plays all the facets of this character extremely well. And 
She is a delightful lead and a great... She does a great Picard keeping the logs. And keeping all these camp logs. And you basically... She is the narrator of the series. Well, you could argue Kant is the main character. Ares is the true narrator that communicates to the audience. And you yeah. hear a lot of her, and she tells a lot about this story, and you hear her grow and overcome this stuff, and she's fantastic. More, uh, no, Morgan. Megan is fantastic as Aerie Spring and uh, Sarah as well. So I've said this on previous episodes, but if you are new to Dub Talk, first of all, hello. Second of all, I'm so sorry. And... A thing I've said on previous episodes of Dub Talk is I am of the opinion that Josh Greeley is probably one of the single most talented and versatile actors in the Dallas Funimation voice acting sphere. Not only does Kanata reconfirm this for me, I'd also argue this might be up there as one of his best, period. Josh Greeley is a talented, versatile motherfucker who shows every single facet of his talent voice acting pool voicing Kanata. He is a huge dork who is very goofy and very arrogant. He is a serious, strong-willed leader. He is somebody who is afraid and scared and screams and cries and also pulls off this very stern, angry bitter person when he's playing Kanata's original or his dad and he's just really that's a piece of shit his dad's a piece of shit yeah but he's Josh Greeley is just so versatile at playing Kanata as this big shonen goofball who is a survivor in the face of adversity and even though he drops these dorky uncool things and he's a big old dork he's believes in people he believes in the people around him and he believes that they can come together and survive this against all odds and that even those who wish to harm them they have a chance ulgar can join this crew again Shars, you have a chance to live you deserve to live the fact that he's screaming at him like shut up she is her own person so are you and he's putting it all on the line he's so funny He's so strong-willed, he's so passionate, he's so fierce, and he's also just, I love, I also love, like, when he's, like, he eats something and he's just screaming, ah, delicious, and it's just, he's just a, that's, like, one of the best parts of the show. Yeah. Entire scene with him and Delicious! Can I talk about, I, I need to talk about, I need to talk about both his performance and Kristen McGuire as a writer. For a particular line that is uttered in the show, oh, I need yeah. to go find it because I was I was freaking out. Where he is, he is injured. He's practically can't keep consciousness anymore. He's very worn out and exhausted. And Charles is basically <coughs> begging for forgiveness, and it's like it's okay, man. You got this. And it's like when we go to space and I go get my own ship, I want you to join it with me. Somehow, you can be my right-hand man. Which, yeah. I saw that, I'm like, oh my god, Kanata, my dude, you're bleeding out and you just made a fucking pun. Which, uh, I mean, that pun was kind of a noob subs too, but yeah, that was a really good pun. It's okay, yeah. was it? Okay, yeah, it, it okay. Was. 
Kanata Hoshijima is a badass. This boy literally took surgery on his arm with no anesthetic, and he's like 17. He took no anesthetic on that. Woo. Holy shit. He gets up, and everybody's like, shut up. It's cool. Also, I was lonely, and I wanted to say hi. Yes. Kanata is the goodest boy that has ever been good boyed. I love him so much. And can we talk about how good he is that even in the future, he he's like dating, he's dating Ares, and he goes to Shars, and he's like, I want to ask her father for his blessing. And I'm like, God, that like, I'm like, it's really sweet, but Jesus Christ, it'd be awkward. Yeah, it's awkward, but it's adorable and it's precious. And I also, also, can I talk about the fact that they ran a contest of what would be the most absurd prosthetic design for me? And somebody decided a pincer, pincer. Correction, it was Sharks. Sharks was the one who thought a fucking pincer er, prosthetic. I can't believe you won. Oh. No, uh, Josh Greeley is a fucking phenomenal actor, and honestly, Kanata Hoshijima might be up there now as, like, probably top ten? I'd say top five, but I'm not sure I'm that bold, because this man has an impressive career. I'd definitely firmly say, in the top ten, holy shit, Josh is good. Yeah, you done? Yes, I'm done. Okay, because something I just remembered, I forgot to bring up with Megan Sherman, because... I said about how the whole thing with Princess Halo was kind of touching and heartbreaking. One of the lines that caught me off guard was when she talks about uh, giving away the baby and she tells her father that the baby died. In the Japanese, I'm about to break the whole room down. In the Japanese, she said that the baby died suddenly. In the English, she said the baby died of sins. I was like, hold up. Died of what? Whoa, what? Sins. Hmm. Oh, sudden infant death syndrome. Yeah, that caught me off guard. It did. Okay. All right, who's next? Uh, that would be me. All right. Okay. Um. So, sorry with Megan Shipman. I haven't heard. I haven't seen like a whole ton of her work until now. But what I have seen, I generally found to be pretty solid, and I definitely thought this is some of her strongest work. Aries in this way comes off as a total bitch, and Megan plays it up really well. Whether it's Aries sometimes mixing up her words or, you know, her heightened reaction to basically everything. Now, both of which are things I can kind of relate to since I'm usually pretty ditzy myself. Um, she definitely makes a lot of those antics feel very funny without ever feeling, you know, annoying. And uh, she handles it all well enough that it never feels like the show is kind of mocking Aries for that sort of thing. And she bounces off the characters really well. Uh, I certainly like how she bounces off of Josh Grayley's countertop. And I definitely found a lot of their interactions to be very cute, and I'm definitely very glad that shit worked out in the end. I was also very impressed with how she handled Ares' occasional moments of insight, where, you know, she shows off her whole photographic memory and how she can kind of be, you know, a little bit more level-headed than some of the other members of the group, and she can sound very mature when she needs to be. Well, you know, still sounding like the same dork we all know and love. I thought that was, I thought she handled those transitions very well. And I was equally impressed with how she handled Ares' arc throughout the show, as, you know, Ares initially seems like she's the character least tied to the whole conspiracy as to why these kids have a hit on them. And, uh, freaking out, and, you know, figuring out whether or not the, the love her mom had for her was fake. I mean, but of course, when everything is said and done, Ares realizes that, you know, even if her mom wasn't biologically related to her, it doesn't make their relationship any less real. 
I thought that the way Megan handled that whole quiet realization was definitely very sweet. Uh, uh, like our Megan was saying, I thought she handled the raw emotionality of that very well, and it was a really good scene. And I just like how they kind of tied into the whole theme of the show in, in general. And uh, yeah, this was definitely a very well-run performance, and it definitely left the strongest impression out of me out of all the ladies in the cast. So yeah, really great work, Megan. And I mean, and of course, as for Josh Gale's Kanata, uh, like I already kind of mentioned earlier, I came into this expecting Josh to be Josh. So uh, this was uh, definitely a very curious casting choice for me. And since the reasons I'm uh, pretty familiar with uh, Yoshimasa Hoshiyatsu, and I know he has kind of a bit of a baritone to him, so I was kind of curious how Joss was going to handle that. But I also know that Joss is a very reliable actor, so I figured that would work out in the end. And yeah, it, it definitely worked out. Uh, for the second, Kanata literally dies, bombs onto the screen. There's a level of energy and enthusiasm in Joss's performance that's almost impossible not to like, and he maintains that throughout the whole show. And yeah, I just appreciate that Kanata literally just died, bombs into the show. That was great. Bless his heart. Yes. Uh, Josh is uh, definitely no stretch in the comedy role. Didn't even the very first thing I ever heard him in was kind of an action comedy. Uh, so he's definitely very good at making Kyle sound like a total dork whenever he's not behind the captain's chair. And it's definitely funny watching him bounce off of the various personalities of the other kids in the crew. And But of course, at the same time, there's definitely a very serious side to Kyle beneath all that dorkiness and bravado. And when it comes time for Kanata to act like a leader, Josh can give him a very commanding presence. And while Kanata might not seem like the kind of guy anyone would want to, would want to follow at first glance, uh, there's just this kind of very strange charisma to him that's kind of makes him impossible not to like, and Josh just nails that very well in a way that feels incredibly natural. I also liked just how well he handled everything in regards to Kanata's relationship with his teacher and his father. And I can tell that, like, Kanata isn't totally over the way his father abused him, but he's kind of done his best to limit it and, you know, make responsibilities for his own choices, which is uh, definitely very mature for a kid his age. And I also just gotta say that when it came to getting very emotional, yeah, Josh, he really brought his A-game with this one. You know, between the scene where Kanata literally shouts to everyone that it doesn't matter what their parents think of them because they're all family. Or, you know, his old screaming match with Sharers in episode 11. And, I mean, I could really feel how much Josh was, like, absolutely treating his vocal cords in those moments, and it definitely helped to make those scenes feel a lot more memorable. Uh, if there was maybe one nitpick I'd have of Josh's performance, it was that when it came to playing Kanata's father, there was probably the least amount of vocal distinction between him and his parent out of the entire cast. Granted, I'm pretty familiar with Josh's general range at this point. And I know that he was clearly going to see if he could win it, but I feel like even if you aren't that familiar with Josh as an actor, you can very easily pick up on the fact that he was voicing both characters, and it kind of makes that whole twist maybe uh, a little more obvious. I, I, I disagree in that regard, but I see it a little. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I mean, at least to me, it's, I, I mean, like, honestly, I didn't catch on to the fact that they were all playing, that it was, you know, I didn't immediately catch on to, oh, okay, the actors are playing both characters. Until I heard Josh as a dad, I was like, oh, okay. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, anyway, that's... I mean, anyway, that's more of a nitpick with how he played Kanata's dad and not Kanata. And because when it came to how he played Kanata, it was definitely far and away the stalking performance and a hold up for me. 
And I feel like he just really got every aspect of this character down to a T. It's definitely one of Johnson's best performances. And given that Johnson's a very, very good actor, that's really saying something. So, great job. And with that, we are finally going to move to Final Thoughts. Boy, this went late. I could make a, I could make a joke, but yeah, I think we should move on. Okay. Uh, okay, well, since you're here, go quickly. Oh, oh, me? Okay, cool. So... Uh, I will simply say, I think this dub is very good, very unique, but very strong, well put together. There's a lot of passion, there's a lot of light, there's a lot of humor, there's a lot of greatness into this. I think what I'm going to personally highlight, like, I I've talked about how much I like this dub, it's really good, everybody's great. I want to talk a little more about the show for a second, because, A, two things. This is probably one of, like, this premise in theory could be one of the most pessimistic nihilistic things you could do if you were giving it in a how do i describe it less talented writer this is probably one of the most like hopeful optimistic looks at humanity human nature and looking towards the future I may have ever seen even for Shonen like I actually really do admire that attitude of like keeping hope when things are are hard which that's a great big Shonen thing but this especially is like really hits hard at home especially about like family togetherness and it just does all those things I like in Shonen really spectacularly another thing I'd like to credit is the adaptation of this. This is directed by one Masaomi Ando, who has directed such projects as Scum's Wish, School Live, uh, Hakame Makochi, uh, just to name a few. He's a regular at Studio Lurche. I feel he is probably one of the best directors at the studio when it comes to adapting ant manga to anime and knowing exactly what he needs to do to really emphasize what worked in that story, as well as adding his own creative flair. One of the things I've realized since I actually do own Volume 1 is one of my favorite scenes from the first episode isn't even in the manga. Because when uh, Ares is drifting off into space, he, he latches on, he grabs her, and then they just fly back to, to the ship. Okay. In the anime, he's he was off with his trajectory. He's about to fly past the ship, and he's about to go on to the dead planet. And what they do in the anime is they all link hands together, come together in the face of adversity, and work together. People who don't know each other working together for the first time to save each other. And that is a really good addition to the show, which makes me realize this director knows what this show needed what he needed to add to it, what he needed to adapt, and he nails it so fucking good. It just feels great, and this is a strong director, and this is just a well-made show. And they did this adaptation justice. I'm done. <sighs> okay, I'll go. So, to me, the biggest thing that I took away from Ostra, having watched it through in the Japanese and the English, is that I actually do kind of prefer this in the dub format. I got a little bit more emotional... And I think I resonated with the show a little bit more in English. It's a fantastic... Here's the thing. I 
I absolutely love this anime for for doing a lot of things that I really admire in other shows that I hadn't really seen, like, a bigger name. Like, it's weird I say bigger name Shonen because, again, this runs in, you can read this on the Weekly Shonen Jump app on, uh, if you're in America, and it ran in a Shonen Jump-esque magazine. Um, to me, the biggest thing I took away from Astra as a series was that this is a series that says something that I think a lot of a lot of other anime try to, but they don't really go. F- but they, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this as a weird counterpoint. Um, it's a bit. It, it it does a thing like in Naruto where it's like family isn't the people who are related to you, but in it, but but in the end, the people that hurt you and did bad things, um, and abused you for a lot of your life. Sometimes they don't deserve to be forgiven, nor will they ever recant on their actions. Um, Ostra is a show that does feature... These children have essentially, for except for Ares, have been abused in some way, shape, and form. They didn't get to... They got to live as people, in a sense, but they were raised at arm's length, or they were raised in the sense to be erased and I think it's such a a strong thing for a series to say to come out in a bit of critique in a way that is yes fantastical because these are clones and they're gonna do this weird like get out situation but if you think of it as the more metaphorical sense that what is this show saying about parents who raise their children to live vicariously through their successes Mm. especially in a country like Japan, I know Jet brought this up with uh, The Promised Neverland about how that's a very large critique of uh, the Japanese school system and their, their, um, and their uh, focus on test scores. And for a lot of people who are like, oh, anime and stuff can't be like political or shit like that, that's one of fucking lie. Have you ever watched Code Geass or Fullmetal Alchemist? Uh, but to give another contemporary example, um, the, mong- the light novel series called Sexiled. Uh, was actually written about the Tokyo Medical University's uh, uh, scandal that they would dock women test scores for even applying. So, a lot of this stuff can actually be seen as metaphorical. I also like to read into things, but that's just me. And I think that the dub really does get this kind of thing, this across to me. That... These characters are, like, like as Josh has kind of just screams, we are a family. We are family, not the people who raised us, not the clo- not the originals who made us clones, and not the people who want to steal away our agency, who want to turn us, to see us as vessels and not as people. And I think that there's something so powerful in a show and so appealing to people to check out this show and to check out the dub of this, which gets this across really well and is very approachable, that goes the extra mile for inclusion, uh, for diversity in its casting, to have all of this done so well. And I really want to give Caitlin, like, the biggest applause. Not only was she doing this series where themes of abuse and overcoming abuse and these... Well, in this show are heavy, they're not fruits basket heavy, and she was working on both at the same time, and she balanced both of these shows so beautifully, and I just want to give my 
and my applause to the cast and crew for for really doing their hardest on a show that should be should be watched and really is one of the most exemplary anime an, anime that have come out this year and I am absolutely 100% going to buy the manga for this cuz it's phenomenal. It's a phenomenal. It's show. also probably not as big of an investment as some other series. It's like a $60 dump. So <laughs> Okay, uh Jamal. SD second to collect my thoughts. Okay, buddy. So, pretty much going into this, I thought I had an expectation of what was going to happen in the show. Having got into this black, I, when this first show was first announced, I was kind of excited to see it because I never seen anything like this before. A space thriller set about teenagers. I, it had it had my brain curious. And then when the show got announced for a dub, I wanted to jump in on this episode. To me. The, th- the thing about it is, is like, I thought I knew what to expect, but then after b- b- maybe about four episodes or the halfway point, it it just turned, it just blew my mind. It turned my brain upside down from what I was seeing because, like I said in the, earlier in the show, the show has a lot of twists. Of course, the two major ones being uh, Astra's and Descendant of Earth. And the clothes, which I never would have expected either of that, to be honest. Then again, the clothes thing kind of helps me explain the storyline in another show. So going into this, I didn't know what to expect, but the show came out very good, and the dub came out very good too. Is it, it proved to me that, you know, even, even when knocked down, you get back up again. To prove that there's always hope in things. And it it kind of helped me understand and reinforce my philosophy. You know that you're more than the sum of your parts. You know, you're a person too. Because at the end of the day, like no matter, no matter who you meet. Whether that person is black, white, Asian, male, female, intersex. To me, they're just people and I respect them as such. And this show really helped to define that. Because... I mean, there are some topics I'm not familiar with that I was able to talk about tonight, and there's some topics that even the show went way out to handle, and I I commend Marcelo Biondo for that. And adapting that to English is an even harder feat. And I commend Caitlin and a plethora of ADR directors, especially Morgan Lorraine for episode of It because, my God, I, I would... I, I never expected to see something like this. A double dipping both English and Japanese. It was, it was very stellar. It was very impressive. I mean, I don't know really what more I can say. Like everybody played the job very well. I mean, yeah, even if we had like some debate on like who's the weakest, even the weakest at the end, the weakest performance at the end of the day was still strong enough to carry the story through and through. And while I can't guarantee if I'm going to be dropping 60 bucks on the manga, I really enjoyed the show all that much. I consider it, like, among my big four, maybe big three dubs this summer. And I urge y'all to check it out, viewers. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, um, as for me, uh, so I've been a big fan of uh, Kenta Shinohara's work ever since Ski Dance, and, and I really enjoyed going through the manga a couple of years back. Uh, by the way, I haven't mentioned it, but this is my official endorsement. Go watch Ski Dance. It's 
still on Crunchyroll, I think. So yeah, go watch that. I've never seen it before, actually. What show? Uh, it's a, uh, Skate Dance. It is by the same offer. It is uh, okay. okay. It is mostly a comedy, but uh, one thing I will definitely say it has in a favor. It has in its favor. Is that its first to eat? That its first ending song is done by the pillow. So there's mm. definitely that. Uh, anyway, uh, so I was a little worried how uh, the anime was going to manage to cram the whole story of this into twelve episodes, uh, but I thought that it was phenomenally well paced, and I thought that Masamiyano uh, and Words did a really good job of keeping all the meat of the plot in. It also helps that they did the re-zero thing and skipped most of the OPEDs. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, that was, I, yeah, that was I, a really smart decision. I consider that the driftest thing at this point. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, I guess so, but people just got people most people consider that the reason thing now. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, but anyway, I thought they did a good job of keeping in all the meat in the plot without having to cut too many quarters. And it's simply a good thing because this is a really fun little sci-fi series, and it does a really good job of mixing together thriller elements. Uh, with a bit of a comic relief story as these characters kind of, you know, break free from their parents and become their own people. And there's definitely a lot of uh, interesting discussions you can have about that. And I definitely appreciate that. Uh, as for the dub, while uh, some parts of it were maybe a little uneven for me and a couple of performances that, like, totally impressed me, on the whole, I thought it was pretty solid. I mean, again, like, personally, I lean slightly more towards the Japanese track just because it's, like, maybe a little smoother across the board for me, but... If you want to check out the show in English, this is definitely a very solid dub, and there are definitely some really strong proportions in, in here for me, and definitely some, definitely some I might be looking at towards the end of the year, so, yeah, good job. Alrighty. Okay, and um, since it is very late, guys, plug yourselves very, very quickly. Where can the people find you? Hi there. My name is Andrew, a.k.a. Classy Spartan. You can find me on Twitter over at MangaMan9000. I am a Funimation uh, community manager and moderator for their forums and Discord. I'm also a podcaster for uh, Surreal Resolutions Podcast ONA alongside our captain for tonight, Jet. Hi, I'm Megan. You can follow me at Cornero too. I am. I just mostly shitpost and make bad puns to make Andrew cry. I do cry very badly. Hi, I'm Jabal. You can find me at Jabstar529 on Twitter, Jabstar1 on YouTube. I'm an assistant editor for the podcast. I have a couple of projects working right now. Blocks collected dust. You know all that good stuff. Okay, um, as for me, uh, I'm Jet. You can find me on Twitter at Jetzero at Jetzero at Dubtalk, where or Divine Negro will usually, uh, you know, just be talking about anime or manga or cartoons or whatever. And uh, you can also sometimes find me on the blog Animation Infinity, where I will occasionally write things. Uh, so, uh, right now, I'm just you know, making my way through fall through fall show impressions. So hopefully, I will survive that. But where can they find yeah. us, as in yes, the Dub Talk I've, podcast? Okay, yes, as for as in general, we are the Dev Talk Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, all Tumblr, all those fun places. Uh, if you uh, if you would like to support us, you can do so we, you can do so through Kofi. We uh, we have a uh, we have a Kofi account where you can donate to us. We also have uh, so, uh, we also recently started a Patreon, and before we end things tonight, we'd like to thank some of our patrons. Uh, Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, 
Nico Robin went with Yowie Hands, Brad Mitchell, Carly Lescow. Carly Lescow. Okay, Carly Lescow. Sorry, uh, y'all can fix that, please. Uh, Jacob Wilson, Jared, uh, Marco Benitez, Marissa Lenti, and Weeby. Thank you all. You're beautiful, wonderful people, and we appreciate all the support you've given us. Yeah, yeah, thank you. You guys are awesome. Seriously. You keep the ship flying. You keep the ships flying and the puns and the puns writing. God bless. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, if you would like to, and if you would, and if you are interested in checking out Astro Lots in Space, if you would like to check out the manga, as we said before, you can find it on the weekly Shadow Jump manga app. Or you could buy and, the physical copies released by Viz, which are like, as we said, 50 or 60 bucks if you want the whole series. <laughs> is it, yeah, it is only five volumes long and it's not a terribly big commitment. And if you would like to watch the anime, both subbed and dubbed, it is on Funimation now. Uh, you can subscribe to the service for, I believe it is six ninety five now. I think it's like seven ninety five actually, but okay. Um, so the you can subscribe to the service for about seven ninety five now. Uh, they do offer a two week free trial, but be warned they will ask for your credit card information. So if you want to do the free trial, make sure. Uh, make sure you cancel before the trial ends or you will be charged. And uh, with that, we are basically done here for tonight. Thanks for sticking it out, guys. Oh, thank, thanks for leading us through thick and thin, Captain. We had a fun time. We all cringed, felt hardships forever, and had some good talks. I came in pretty, hand, pretty clutch, pretty handy with my puns. Y'all want some Turgan? I'd love some Turgan, thank you kindly. Too bad we don't have any just grumpy steak. No, not the grumpies! Alright. And so uh, we are basically done here. Thanks for checking us out. Thank you for sticking with us. And remember, per Aspera ad Astra, overcome hardships and reach the goal, folks. And until next time, we'll talk to you all, my friends. Aya! Keep, Aye, yeah. keep it stellar. Aye, yeah.